Welcome back to the Two Marks and a Spark Wrestling Podcast, brought to you by ExpressVPN. Go to expressvpn.com slash spark to get three free months when you sign up for the 12-month package. That gets you 15 months of the best VPN on the internet. Well, folks, I promised you another interview was coming this week. And then I woke up today and didn't think it was going to happen, and then it did. Uh, I'm here with Scott Schwartz. And if you don't know who that is, well, you should, for one thing. Uh, he was one of the main characters of the Christmas of A Christmas Story, and he also, and I didn't know this until fairly recently, worked in the wrestling business for a long time. <laughs> so, Scott, thank you for being here. My goodness, what a journey we've had today. <laughs> yes, it's a pleasure to join you. Sounds like this might be the best thing that's happened to you today after what we just talked about. Oh, my God. You know, pretty pretty damn close. You know, as uh, you and I were speaking, we'll kind of fill in the uh, the blanks for the people listening. I had a, a pipe burst in, in, in front of my house by my garage. And so we had to put this uh, Zoom off for about an hour because I was dealing with the plumber. So I'm glad to be joining you with, without being flooded or no water. So, so you're going to live. As, uh, that's the important part. Oh, yeah. Well, let's just jump right into it. You've done a bunch of stuff movie-wise, which obviously I want to get into. Christmas Story is a classic, and I hope you're getting royalty checks every time TNT decides to play it for 24 hours. I make $1.60. For every time they play it? No, for the 24-hour marathon. 80 cents a day. Huh. They uh, has nothing to do with being a kid, nothing to do with with anything more than the standardized contract that the uh, union came up with in 1980 when cable was still a baby uh, was if they showed a single movie more than one time in a calendar day on the same channel, you only got paid for one showing. So realistically, when they show it for 24 hours, we get paid for two showings. And it's a sliding scale depending on how many times it's been on television and it's been on TV so many times. Uh, we get paid about 80 cents a day. So I make $1.60 from the marathon. That seems a little ridiculous, but, you know. It's what it is. Well, let's let's uh, let's start with some of the wrestling stuff because I, I think that's something that we're both going to enjoy here. When did that's you... a hell of a lot of fun. When did you first figure out, hey, you know, this wrestling stuff's kind of fun? Well, believe it or not, my mom was a wrestling fan because her father watched wrestling. So I probably started watching wrestling. I was five, six years old, you know, and uh, you're talking, you know, mid-70s, you know, when I became a fan. But we only got to watch it, you know, one day a week on Saturday mornings, uh, WWF Superstars. On, uh, oh God, WPIX, which was channel 11 in, in New York, in the New York area. And I was in New Jersey. Um, and of course, so, I mean, I grew up, you know, just before Hulkamania and watching, you know, superstar Billy Graham and, and Lad and, uh, oh God, Ivan Putsky and Bruno San Martino. And then you came into Bob Backlund and, you know, Superfly Jimmy Snook and Don Morocco and those guys. And then Hulkamania showed up, you know, and, uh, you know, I mean, I was a, I was a, a fan from the go, you know, watching in New York. 
In retrospect, going with Hogan was a good choice, despite the fact that he was about as good in the ring as a potato. Uh, That's the, but for the show, it's completely irrelevant. He was that Paul Bunyan character. Right. He was that monster superhero that wrestling didn't really have. I mean, you had Andre, but Andre wasn't. He didn't have the flair. He didn't have the pizzazz. He was just. He also wasn't full time in New York at that point. Right. He was all over the place. If I'm not mistaken, right around the time Hogan gets up to Connecticut or New York or wherever it was at that time, by the time Hogan gets up there, Andre's pretty much like there once every other month, if not less. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I didn't go to any live shows. You know, I was strictly a Saturday morning, you know, watch it on, on WPIX. And, uh, you know, and then uh, the, the powers that be, I guess you would call it, what was supposed to be. I mean, I do the movies that I did. And back then, Christmas Story was nothing. It was all about the toy that I, the film, the toy I did with Richard Pryor and Jackie Gleason. That was a big movie. And uh, I was at an audition for a movie called The Money Pit with Tom Hanks and Shelley Long. And I was auditioning for one of the kids, walked into the audition, and I'm standing in front of my father as I walked in the door and across the way on a bench is Big John Stud. And he scared the hell out of me. You know, it's a guy that's in the ring with Andre and he's a bad guy and he hurts people and whatever, you know. And he's also, you know, massive. Oh, he's a big, he was a big boy. And uh, my audition time was actually before his. He had gotten in a little early to rehearse his lines and whatever and memorize everything so i go in and i come out and my dad is sitting with john stud and i'm like okay and i walked over my dad's like scott this is john john this is scotty and the biggest smile came on his face he goes scotty i love your movie the toy man it's great you were terrific and i'm like this guy's nice okay it couldn't have been any nicer and sweeter and we ended up actually my 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 dad we had a uh, Cadillac a Biarritz, and uh, we ended up giving John Stud a ride down to Madison Square Garden, right after the audition. And uh, again, I mean, he was so big. We had to seat all the way back, and his knees were all the way up in the air. It was it was wild. But he gave us his home phone number because there were no cell phones back then. Right. And he's like, call me up. You want tickets to the Spectrum? You want tickets to uh, the Meadowlands? You just let me know. You come to an event. Okay. And they were having Saturday night main event uh, in, in a couple weeks later. And so I called him and talked to him. No problem. Show up at the box office. You'll have your tickets. You'll have a pass. Don't worry. Okay. And went. And they, he got me in the back. And I started meeting guys. And it, uh, it all just kind of snowballed from there. Now, from what I know, and this is not very much, from what I know about your wrestling fandom, you were pretty big into Andre at this point, correct? Oh, I mean, I loved Andre. I loved Savage and Hogan and Piper and, you know, Miss Elizabeth. And it was just, they were great characters. And once I started meeting them, you realize they're real people. They're just cool, fun people. Uh, you know, I got just got my driver's license. So I started drive. First, I started driving. You know, I went to the events. They're like, "Hey, you come anywhere you want." You know, so I went to the Meadowlands. Then I went to the Spectrum. And the next thing I know, I'm going to the Boston Garden. And then it's okay. Uh, 
hey, if you want to come along and ring crew or go get us food and help out in the back, you're more than welcome to, okay. And that's kind of like what I did. So I was never an employee of the WWF. I was a fan, but they liked having me around and I loved it. So, I mean, it was at my own expense that I drove everywhere. I mean, I flew, you know, I mean, I may be one of the few people you'll ever hear. My, my dad, because of being in the movies, I was much more mature and grown up than most kids my age. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm you know, a, a, a senior in high school and uh, we're sitting having, you know, coffee in the morning at whatever time. It was 630 before I got to go to school. Dad's like, so what's uh, what's on your docket today? I saw I'm going to school. I'm going to leave before uh, study hall. I got to go to Newark. I got to catch a flight to Dulles, uh, pick up the car, and I'm picking up, uh, you know, Randy Savage, or I'm picking up Jim Neidhart, and then going to the arena and doing my thing. And then I'll be back in the morning and I'll get in the car and I'll, you know, I'll be on the first flight at six o'clock in the morning or 6 15 back to Newark and get in the car and go to school tomorrow. He's like, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. Well, and I did, and that's what I did, you know. Uh, you know, uh, if you remember Rene Goulet, the Frenchman, sweetheart of a man, gave me the nickname. Well, first, my nickname was Go-To. Whenever they wanted, it was Go-To. That was my first name because if they needed something, go to Scotty. He'll do it. So it was go to Scotty. Uh, we need hot dogs. Go to Scotty. We need beer. Go to Scotty. We need this. Go to Scotty. Okay. And then he nicknamed me Mr. Free, F-R-E-E, Mr. Free. Why? Because I wasn't an employee. I weren't paying me nothing. Say, go, Mr. Free, come here. All right, Renee, what's up? Go upstairs. Get Don Morocco, two hot dogs, a beer. Here's the money. Okay. Go get a pizza. Back then, you know, they had no catering. Now they have 50 feet of catering, and it's filet mignon, and it's spaghetti. And it, back then, you know, it was a salad and dominoes. Right. <laughs> so. And you were lucky if you had the dominoes. Oh, yeah. You know, picking, having guys call me at the house, you know, what time are you getting into the airport? Oh, I get in at 1.30. Okay, pick me up 2.15 at Delta. Okay. You know, and I mean, I picked up, you know, a, just, you know, bunches of guys. I go and I I was underage, so they charged me like 10 or 15 bucks a day for uh, extra insurance. For the rental car. And the guys, would always, the guys would always throw me five or 10 bucks. They'd always pay my extra insurance, but I paid for my own car. They never paid for a car. That was great. Um. And WWF gave them 40 bucks a night for hotel rooms. <coughs> so they had a deal with the Ramada Inns. It was 40 bucks a night. And there were guys that would room just so they'd split it. So they'd have 20 bucks to eat food, you know? Right. No major, no big contracts other than Hogan and a few other guys back then. Um, so, I mean, it, it was a blast to be sitting home and getting phone calls from, you know, whomever. Be it Jim Neidhart, Bob Orton, uh, uh, oh God, Randy Savage, uh, oh God. Was Randy as like awkward as people say he was? I, I, I have a hard time believing that for how he was like on screen. Randy, Randy realistically had two personalities. He really did. He had that sweetheart personality. If you were a friend, you didn't have the same things to deal with as if you were one of the boys, you know, was he jealous? Oh, you betcha. There's no question, you know? Uh, but I was a different duck because I'm a movie star guy. 
and I'm his buddy and I'm five foot tall and I weigh not even a hundred pounds. There was no threat of me trying to date Miss Elizabeth or get him away from Miss. That, that was nonsense. It didn't exist. So I would get a hug or a kiss on the cheek and we would go to dinner and have, you know, whatever. And the boys would say to me, dude, you're messing with fire. He's going to put you in a wall one day. I said, we don't have that relationship. That's not where we're at. We're friends. They're like, okay, good luck. You know, and it, it, it took until after his passing and really at the Hall of Fame, uh, his brother, Lanny, pulled me aside and said, you know, we really should have this conversation. Let's have dinner tonight. We ended up having dinner. And he says, he says, do you know how much my brother loved you and trusted you? I said, I said, honestly, I never thought about it. We were friends. He goes, I know that. But there was only three people he trusted, me, you, and Vince McMahon. That was it. The only three people he trusted around Miss Elizabeth were the three of us. He told me that. He just loved you like a little brother. And I mean, just blew my mind. And, you know, I was always close with them, you know, during that time period. And, uh, you know, what ended up happening tore me to shreds, but that's another story. But, you know, I had a blast. I really had a blast. I mean, going to dinners with Hulk Hogan and, you know, uh, people coming over. And I just, sure hope know, Hogan paid for that. Especially back paid for dinner. Well, I became what was hysterical was we didn't have TMZ. We didn't have the media the way that it is. We didn't have. You know, everybody with cell phone camera, they didn't exist. And so I was a great heel. Nobody knew who the hell I was, but I'm the guy on the outside of the booth going, listen, can you wait until the man eats? You know, let Hulk eat. He's, he'll be done. And then, you know, when he's done, he gets up. You want to take a picture. If you got a camera, you want an autograph, he'll do. He'll say hello. Let the man eat. And I did that a couple times. And Hulk was like, dude, you're coming to every dinner with us. You're great at this. <laughs> And I said, no, I'm just logical. He goes, yeah, but people don't yell at you. They don't scream at you. You're very kind. You're very nice. You're very polite. But you get the message across, and I get to have peaceful dinners. I said, no problem. What was your thoughts when he opened that pasta restaurant all those years later? <clears throat> well, that's that was PR, and that's a licensing deal like the, the Hulk Hogan Beach Shop. You know that he has in, in uh, Clearwater and over. You have one in Daytona, but I, I think that one's gone. I think or Orlando. He's got the Orlando shop, um, and he's got the uh, the Tampa shop or the Clearwater shop, and it's a licensing deal. You know, he lends his name to the business, and they run and they they sell his autographs and memorabilia and belts and shirts and photos and all kinds of you know, action figures and all kinds of memorabilia stuff. And he'll come in and he'll sign. You know, once every six or eight weeks, and you know because he's in Florida, you always get a different crowd it's it's a touristy crowd you know people will come to see hulk hogan you know he is who he is right i thought it was interesting that at the at wrestlemania this past year i don't know how much you've been watching lately but at mania this past year they had him hosting and with everything that's been happening with him recently he just got booed out of the building it was so diff it was so weird not to mention they had him dressed up all goofy but it, it, Listen, is there a portion of the audience that only knows him from what happened in the past couple, you know, now it's already been, what, five, six years, whatever. Um, you know, do we find fault with what he said? Sure. But do we understand? Yes, it's that old Southern way. And does it make it right? No. But, you know, he's entitled to speak his voice when it comes to his family. You know, and it was about his daughter. And, you know, it is what it is. Um 
does it make him a bad person? No. Does it make him a racist human being? No. I mean, I've seen him extend a hand to anybody, any race, creed, color, doesn't make any difference. You know, he's, he, he really has a, a, an old soul and a genuinely good heart, you know, toward people, especially kids, you know, he'll do anything. You know, he was the Make-A-Wish guy before Cena. Of course, but Make-A-Wish wasn't what Make-A-Wish was, you know, that they are like they are now. He he was the guy, though, and he went places and did things that there was no media and nobody knew about, you know, hospitals and just going to see kids and, you know, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, I mean, I could share a story. This happened early on. I was probably there for three months and a friend of my mom's that worked with her in New Jersey, her daughter had leukemia, loves Hulk Hogan. So my mom comes and says to me, listen, I really have a big favor. Can you think you can do something? I said, I don't know, mom. You know, I, I, this, is the, this is the height of Hulkamania. This guy is being pulled every which way but loose. And you've only and, been there a couple months at this point. <laughs> I've only been there a couple months. And, but Terry and I got along great. Hulk and I got along great. And so I went to him at the Spectrum and I said, listen, I need a favor. I know I'm not in a really position to ask, but I'm asking. He says, what do you need, little brother? I go, it's a friend of my mom's, her daughter. She's 12. She's got leukemia. She's in the hospital. She loves you. She's in the uh, New, uh, New York area in New Jersey. I said, I have the number to the hospital. If you could just call, it would just mean the world. to her. Give me the number. So I gave him the number. Didn't hear anything for several weeks. Three About three weeks goes by. My mom comes home from work. And she's crying her eyes out. And I'm thinking, oh, God, the kid died. You know, I'm thinking the worst of the worst. And she goes, no, Hulk went to the hospital and saw the kid. And brought her a, a Hulkamania shirt and signed a thing and talked to her for 20 minutes or a half an hour. No press, no media, nothing. He, you know, he called the hospital and said, I need your address. And fitted his schedule when he was going to be in the area, took a car service, went and saw, you know, not only her, but other kids that were in the hospital there, you know, in, in the cancer ward. And I mean, you know, something like that has a lasting effect on people. Needless to say, three months later, the girl recovered, you know, the, 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 the you know, she had the chemo and did the thing and it was like six months or whatever, but she went into to remission and she lived. You know, and the mom told my mom, you know, it all has to do with Hulk. It, that, that's what happened. It was her attitude. And he he just lightened her light, you know, in her life. And I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, and I saw him and I said, thank you. And he's just little brother. She's laying there. She's got no hair and she's 12 years old. And you see the pain and all these kids. He goes, you got to help him. You got to take care of him. You got to give him, you know, the strength and 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 the the the. Uh, the thoughts of wanting to get better and wanting to live and it's going to be okay. You know, Oh Jesus, you know, lasting impression. The man is golden with me. So are you still a wrestling fan now is I guess my question. To some degree, you know, uh, I can't watch four and a half hours of, of WrestleMania. You know, no, it's, awful. it's all over. And I mean, I have Peacock for the five bucks a month. Cause I like, the rest of the, of the old network with all the old stuff. Um, the Peacock is awful, by the way. You know what? I've had no problems with it, honestly. 
Oh, maybe it's because you're in L.A. and they favor people on the West Coast. I don't know. Uh, you know what? I mean, yeah, is there a commercial here or there? Who cares? Whatever. I don't care. I I, I, I want to see what I want to see. And for five bucks a month to have the whole network, it's better than ten bucks a month. Okay. Well, it's so funny to me that so many people are coming back to wrestling now. Like, in terms of fans, like, there's a large movement of people coming back. And they're not mm. and they're not coming back to WWE. That's the thing. They're they're going back to AEW. Which it's is, it, it's going to be a, a it'll be a roller coaster. They'll come this way, then they'll go that way, they'll come this way, well, they'll he, go that way. Here's the thing, Vince is so disconnected with that 18 to 49 audience, which is what Fox paid for was the 18 to 49 and they're not getting that. But it it's so funny to me that you know, WWE just got these record deals and they got outdone by a two-year-old company Wednesday night. <laughs> but it's there's nothing to be surprised about. It's going to happen. You're going to have the new face, the new people, or the other people that come over from here or somebody new that comes in. We went through it before with WCW. You know, There's going to be a swing here and there, but it's, up, it's characters. It's character development. It's what you have on the roster, what you're giving the people. You know, the, the athleticism of the women today blows away the stuff that WWF had and even to some degree WWE other than Stratus and Lita, you know, uh, maybe a few other girls, women, not that. And I've had the opinion for a long time that if Trish Stratus broke into the business today, she'd be the face of any company she went to. Uh, Any, any, any company she went to, she was a rock. You know, she was, there's no question, she was top dog. Lita's right there with her because Lita did stuff that the guys were doing when the guys didn't do it, you know. Uh, she was great. Both of them were great. Let's face it. I mean, Charlotte Flair is terrific. You know? Oh, I think she's really good. I think she's in the wrong company, and she is leaving WWE. That's all but a guarantee. Her fiance just walked out the door. Her father just walked out the door. She's not too far behind. Again, you, you have to look at the overall. It's the schedule. It's the grind. It's the pay. You know, would you go somewhere else for 75% of the pay but only have to work a third of the time? Absolutely. I think we'd all do that, wouldn't you, Scott? Because your, your longevity is at stake. You know, if you're wrestling, you know, uh, uh, you know less than half the time, your career can last longer. Your body doesn't get as beat up. You know, the guys, the old guys, they were on the road 300 and some days a year. And that's insane. AEW, they don't have the multi-house shows yet. WWE has those house shows. And, and, and it's not even about how many people you get into a house show. It's how much merch you're selling. It's right. all about the merch. Well, I don't know if you you've know. ever seen a Dynamite, but it's AEW t-shirts freaking everywhere. <laughs> Again... It's the newer boy on the block. You know, I, I've tried. I'm trying. You it, know? It's uh, it's a hot product, I, and I really like it. I'm a wrestling fan, though. I'll be a wrestling fan until the day I'm dead. It, I, I, you know, unfortunately, and this is going to sound bad, but I come from a generation of the characters, not necessarily the athleticism. So I'm the Randy Savage guy. The Roddy Piper guy. Oh, I love Savage. Snuka guy. 
I still you know, go back I, and watch Savage and Steamboat from oh, WrestleMania 3 because I think it was one of the best matches, period, ever. I agree with you. I mean, Ricky Steamboat was phenomenal. You know, the greatest match I ever saw. And, you know, the Iron Man match was up there. The WrestleMania 3 match was up there. But it's a match, unless you were there, you didn't see it. I was at the Spectrum in Philly. We had put together the steel cage, and I watched a one-hour steel cage match with the British Bulldogs and the Hart Foundation in their prime. And they didn't stop for 58 minutes. It was non-stop. It was one of the most incredible matches I'd ever seen and to this day I've ever seen. It was just awesome. And like I said, you know, the Iron Man match, you know, uh, was close. The, the, the uh, uh, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels match was close. It really was close. But that, that steel cage iron, that one hour hold, Jesus, it was just incredible. You know? I think and, it's really and, funny that they tried to repeat that success of that Iron Man match so many times over the next number of years, up until 2010, 2011, even when they tried to do it with uh, Cena and Orton, and it just didn't work. Well, it's, listen, that is not easy. You know, you, you got to be really in your prime at the top of your game, and you've got to have the cardio to do it. And not everybody had it. You got to realize who we're talking about. When I say the Hart Foundation and the British Bulldogs, Davy Boy Smith was a big guy, but he wasn't Cena. Cena was even bigger than him, and to carry around 250, 270, you know, for an hour. That is not easy on any human being, but they were great matches, needless to say. Well, I think it's so funny that Cena rose to the level of popularity he did and at the time he did, because you think about it, Hogan was still Hogan at that point. I mean, because they were just well, coming off the Hogan. WCW. It wasn't Hogan's prime. No, it wasn't Hogan's prime, but they were just coming out of the NWO thing. But WCW had collapsed and burned and gone up in smithereens at this point thanks ted turner because i still it's not ted turner well had ted turner was gone i mean I, I i have never met ted turner but i love that guy because his secretary is actually the one who told him to buy a christmas story and put it on the marathon so i got no problem with ted turner and you look at his age and what he wanted to do with the rest of his life what did he need to run a multi-billion dollar conglomerate when you know AOL wanted to buy it and he could sell and have more money for 10 lifetimes and he was good so it's the guys after him the politically correct you know guys from AOL and and Time Warner they tried to went, corporatize you know, it you know you know you really can't do this and you shouldn't do that and, we, and like what are you talking about it's wrestling it's it's entertainment wrestling and they didn't get it and you know the deals that they gave the guys, they gave them too much control. So they just ran, they ran over everybody, you know, and it was the few guys that had the control and the rest of the company lived with it and made a boatload of money from it, but they didn't end up having the longevity. When, and I was talking to one of my friends the other day about this, it kind of felt like WCW was getting ready to kind of, die when nash got the book in 98 in early 99 you know i was i was a wrestling fan until literally i moved to california in 87 then i got out of it i i just 
you know, was doing other things and had other interests. So I had lost my interest in watching shows, going to shows. I went to a couple over the next couple of years because guys would come out here and they would call me and say, hey, you know, we're going to be here. We're going to be there, whatever. Um, I miss the whole Attitude Era. You know, I've caught up with it now because I've watched it on I watched it on the network and whatever. Um, but I mean, to see what developed, you know, with Stone Cold, The Rock, Goldberg, with both companies, you know, I mean, I got a little bit of The Undertaker in the beginning and then I caught up much later on. And, you know, he's still my my I think best overall character you know, in, de in development and the change. I wasn't really a fan of the motorcycle Undertaker. I was much No one was, the, trust me. The original Undertaker and the one that, you know, Mark became. And, you know, he's, to me, still the, the, the best character. But, you know, the, the, the guys with the longevity, the Randy Savages, the Roddy Pipers, the Hogans, Nash, you know, Michaels, Bret Hart, phenomenal performer, phenomenal performer, you know, not flashy. Bret Hart was great. Um, I miss those characters. The Iron Sheik. I mean, you had that, you know, and you can't do that stuff. They I don't just, want you to... I just interviewed, speaking of the Iron Sheik, I just interviewed Nikita Bresnikov last week, um, who was one of Sheik's managers. Mm -hmm. And the stories he can tell you about the Sheik, oh. just, and Nikolai and all that, it's just awesome. But listen, you know, they were they were a riot, man. They really were, you know, uh, we were in. Oh, God, I think at the Cap Center in Washington. And uh, I'm in the I was I was in the little the, the catering room, which was kind of just a green room, whatever. And the she came in and whatever. And he was in one of those wacky moods, you know. And uh I said, hey, Sheik, how you doing? Whatever. I'm good, little man. I'm good, you know, whatever, you know. And the next thing I knew, he ended up in a chair, and I ended up in the Cobra Clutch. Or in the, uh, the, the, uh, not the Cobra Clutch, the, uh. Camel Clutch? The Camel Clutch, thank you. My brain went dead there for a second. He puts me in the Camel Clutch, and he's just holding me there. You see, I know how to do this. You see, I said, I see, I see, I'm dying here. What are you doing to me here? <laughs> and he wasn't pulling on me really hard or whatever. But I wasn't prepared for that. And it was hysterical. And guys are coming in. He's just holding me there. Two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. And the guys are like, what are you doing? I'm showing the kid. I'm showing the kid. And I'm looking. I'm going, he's showing me. He's showing me. And it, it was a riot, you know. And finally, he let me go. And he's like, you see, anytime you want, I take care of you. No chiropractor. I take care of you. I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, do you follow him on Twitter, by the way? He's a riot. He's a hoot. I'm not a big Twitter guy, but I've seen enough interviews with him. And I was there the night of the fight at Legends of the Ring in New Jersey. Which one? He's that, had a couple uh, of those. He, he was doing the – they were doing something with Bob Backlund, giving Bob Blackland a Lifetime Achievement Award, whatever the hell it was. And Sheik went nuts. And the next thing you know, Scott Hall had, had one too many. Oh, no. And Scott Hall went after him, and there's an all-out brawl in the ballroom, and they got to clear him out of the ballroom. And, you know, oh, my God. I'm like, oh, Jesus. Scott Hall's going to – because Scott Hall was in his prime, and, and and Sheik's an old guy. I'm like, what is he doing to this poor bastard? Oh, my God. And Sheik is just throwing out the F-bombs, and oh, God. Scott Hall's one of those guys that probably should have been a champion. 
like multiple times. He was intercontinental. No, but he probably should have been a world champ somewhere. Uh, you know, maybe somewhere, but again, it's about the merch. If you sell enough merch, you end up getting the belt. If you don't, you don't get the belt. That's always the way that that most of the companies ran it, Vince especially. It was all about the merch. You know, all the guys that he had that were world champions sold a ton of merch. You know, and maybe Razor Ramon, that just he wasn't that guy. You know, he just didn't. Maybe some, but just not enough to the level of putting the, the, the world championship on him. To give you an example of the Iron Sheik's Twitter, he tweeted uh, this just about 30 minutes ago. For shits and giggles, go fuck yourself. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> that, that's him. In case there's any doubt that he is actually the one running this Twitter. <laughs> oh, by the way, everything is in all caps. Of course. Listen, he's just... And again, you know, as he gets older, they you get a little more looser with society and that you're not worried about insulting anybody. You they know who you are. If they don't, then what the hell are they doing on your Twitter? Or you know? And he kind of pokes fun at that right here. No disrespect, but go fuck yourself. <laughs> like Oh, absolutely. Go you go know? gadget, go fuck yourself. Like just shit like that. It's just great. <laughs> oh, he's classic. There's no question. I mean now everybody has to be PC and you gotta be nice and you gotta and he's not from that school. You know, I didn't grow up in that school. My my mentor was Richard Pryor, the most un-PC guy on planet Earth. You know, and then I'm I'm influenced by Jackie Gleason and Robert Klein and and you know, I mean then, you know, other stand-up comedians and other people in the industry and whatever. But Richard was my teacher, he was my mentor. That was so PC was never my thing. Richard Pryor was who you really broke into the acting business with, right? Well, as far as movies, you know, I mean, I've been acting for years before that, but he's in the first film and was by far the most influential person in my, you know, in, in my professional life. And even to some degree in my personal life, my uncle was on a, on a personal level. Cause he had the sense of humor, you know, people who live in the Detroit area. My uncle was in the De Detroit free press every Sunday with a joke and a this and his name was Alan Schwartz, the singing window washer and a comic too. And he was always, he always had Henny Youngman jokes and he sang Sinatra and Bobby Darren. And so I got a lot of my outgoing personality from him. And Richard was the one who kind of topped it off with uh, being, you know, the, the performer and non-PC. And then, you know, for, for a little while, Andrew Dice Clay, because I worked at the comedy store. And he was there five nights a week, and I would talk to him and watch him. And so and those are the guys that taught me, you know. And uh, so I'm not PC. So it's like when I see stuff the Sheik says, I just crack up. Well, so do I. You know? I it's so funny to me that he's clearly just fucking with people at this point. Doesn't care. He's having fun. Right. He understands he understands life. He understands, you know, 70 something years old. He's on the back end of, of, of the deal here. You know, and he's certainly not going to change who he is now. Right. No way. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about a Christmas story, because I think a lot of people you probably get asked about this all the time. But. Are you still friends with anybody that you worked with on that movie? All of them. All the guys. 
you know, I was the oldest and Peter was second to Zach who played Scott Farkas, the bully was second. And then Peter, um, Ralphie, you know, he and I, we, we chummed together with we video games, throwing water balloons out the window, ordering food for the director. We did all that shenanigans together. And so he and I are still very good friends. And, uh, Zach who played Scott Farkas, the bully is one of my close friends to a point of family he lives 20 minutes from me, 25, whatever. Um, Yano Anayu played Grover Dill. He's in Atlanta. I don't see him enough. I love him to death and miss him. And we talk, you know, once a week, once every 10 days, at least, if not more, if there's something that needs to get done, whatever. Um, the little kid, Ian uh, Petrello, played Randy. Not as friendly with him. We're friendly, but he's like eight years younger than me. You know, so he was that next generation down uh, on the movie. We didn't hang out because he was a kid. He was a little he was six years old, you know. Uh, the kid who played Schwartz were semi-friendly, you know, if I need something or I, we're going to do something and, you know, Hey, RD, you want to do this? Yes. No. Okay. Fine. Whatever. You know, he's got a lovely wife and a couple of kids and, you know, Peter's married with a couple of kids and, uh, you know, Peter Billingsley is one of those child actors that kind of just fell off the face of the earth at a certain point. Like, I don't think I've seen him in anything in a while. Well, he was in Iron Man. He was in Superman. He, he was, was in, in Iron Man? Hold on, what? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, he's in, I think, the barroom scene or one of the scenes in it, whatever. He's a, he's a co-producer of the film. You know. I knew he Peter, was pretty big into production. Well, he, he enjoys being behind a camera. He loves to edit. You know, he's he runs Vince Vaughn's production company. And... Uh, there's an interview show that's on one of the channels, Access, Insects, whatever it is, in, in whatever the hell, I think it's Access. Um, and they have a sports show that Joe Buck hosted and whatever, and Peter Executive produced the show. Uh, the 30 by 30 show on ESPN about the 85 Chicago Bears. That's Vincent Peter's show. Uh, I'd always so he heard him and Vince Vaughn were close. I didn't know that was true, but I'd, I'd heard that through various Life, things. Life is very strange, you know. Peter is extremely lucky, you know. Uh, John Favreau and Peter were friends, and Favreau had come back from shooting Rudy in Indiana and tells Peter, hey, there's this actor on the set. He's, he's a good guy. He wants to come out to L.A., but doesn't know anybody, wants to get his feet wet. You have a, a, a two-bedroom. I only have a studio. Let him sleep on your couch for a couple months, get his feet wet, and he'll be on his way. And Peter met him. Okay, fine. So Vince Vaughn slept on Peter's couch when he first moved to L.A. and told him, listen, if I make it in this business, you're my guy. I will never forget your, your kindness. Uh, I even I, – I, I never even asked Pete. I should ask him, but from what I heard, uh, there, was, there was a conversation. It may have been Peter and somebody else, and somebody said something about Peter paying for Vince Vaughn's headshots when he first got to L.A. Something like that. And, uh, of course, Vince goes on to have tremendous success and brought Peter along. Never right. forgot him. You know, I mean, I must have had 100 people sleep on my couch. None of these people ever did a damn thing. And Peter had Vince Vaughn, you know, and I, I'm, I'm thrilled for him. You know, sweetheart of a guy, and, and I love Pete. He's a little brother. They're all my little brothers, you know. And I didn't know this. I'm just looking at Peter Billingsley's uh, filmography now. He was in the last Spider-Man movie. Yep. It's so funny to me that people... It's so funny because, like, 
that's a guy that you think of in this one role, but he's done all this stuff. Oh, he's done tons of other stuff. He directed the uh, Couples Retreat with Vince and, and Jennifer Aniston, produced it, produced the breakup with Jen and, and John and and uh, uh, Vince and you know Jason Bateman and whatever. He's done a lot, a lot of work behind the scenes. You know, there's shows that you know they do, and he's not seen, but he's the editor and co-producer or whatever it is, and you know, making a paycheck and 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 earning a nice living, and he's not in front of the camera all the time. Well, that that th those are the people that are the smartest, the ones that can not be in front of the camera all the time and make a ton of money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Peter was in Elf. You know, the opening of Elf in, in the uh, Santa's workshop. And he's a co-producer on it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as the story goes, you know, he uh, he didn't want to do it. Nope. Oh, come on, you got to do it. You know, Will Ferrell, he's a big fan. That's okay, that's nice, whatever. Tell him to call me, I'm not doing it, whatever. And uh, again, you know, the story goes that you know, Will Ferrell called Peter and said, listen, I really want you to do this. I want you to do this cameo in the movie. He's like, I just, I, it's like Christmas thing. And then I got Christmas story. And, and Will, he's, Will says, listen, it would be a favor to me for you to do the show. And Peter said, OK, so I'm doing you a favor. So if I call when I need you, you owe me a favor. And Will said, of course, no problem. He said, OK, I'll do it. You know. That's how is, friendships work. That's how Hollywood works. It's you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I've always heard Will Ferrell as like this bigger than life personality. I, I've never met him. I've seen a lot of interviews with him, though. And I just from everything I've heard, he is just this bigger than life character who's just that's happy. All the that's time. what I've that's what I've heard. He's just a big old good boy, you know, just extremely kind and nice and friendly. And I've never met him. Yeah, I met Vince and I met. Bateman and Jennifer Aniston. I met, you know, quite a bit of them, and you know, they've all been in, they've all been nice and kind to me because you know, I met most of them. Those guys through Peter, um, you know. I mean, I I was I had to go to Chicago for an autograph show, and they were shooting the breakup in Chicago, and I and I I saw that, and so I called Peter and I said, hey, I'm going to be in town. I want to come down to the city. Sure, come on down. I, I went down and you know and he's like listen and this was at the time when jen and the jen and brad thing was going on with brad pitt you know and he's like listen talk to anybody just kind of stay clear of jen she's going through a rough period and okay fine whatever you know i talked to everybody else and i'm standing making myself a cup of coffee and jennifer anison's sitting next to me getting a bagel you know on the set what are you supposed to do you say hello that's the polite thing to do you know as a human being you don't just I, ignore I somebody yeah, of course. And she's standing next to me. And I said, hi, Jen. How are you? She said, I'm okay. I'm good. How are you? I said, good. I said, listen, I'm friends with Peter. You know, we did Christmas story together. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, great movie. I love. Nice to meet you. I had, listen, you have a great day. I said, you too. You know, enjoy, enjoy the shoot. Oh, thank you. That was all. But she was nice. You know, okay. And, uh, you know, ended up going to a, 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 a Cubs game uh, through the guy who at the time was the PR guy. And he sat me with them so at the rail the first seat on the rail was vince and then uh jason peter and then me and i mean the beginning of the, the bottom of the first inning people are coming over to vince can we get an autograph can we get a picture can we get an autograph so finally i i said hey everybody move down one i'm gonna get on the outside we got to stop this crap this is enough of this so of course people kept coming up and i'm like listen can you let the man enjoy the game after the game come up for an autograph or a picture that's fine but let the man enjoy the game. 
And Vince is like, dude, thank you. Oh, God. You know, I said, no problem. Just enjoy whatever. You know. So they, they're a group, good group of guys. Most people are. You know, most people are, are, are good people. You know, I've met a few assholes in my day, but most are good, kind people. Well, let's get back on the subject of your career a little bit here. You've, you're kind of one of those that's, you know, your filmography doesn't list you in anything since 2008. I know you've done stuff since then. I've oh, done, yeah. I've done my research. I don't know why this list isn't updated. I was just looking at a list and it wasn't updated. Well, IMDb all. has stuff that's not even me. I mean, there's some stuff that is me, but then there's stuff that, uh, there's another Scott Schwartz, Scott L. Schwartz, who actually was a wrestler, I guess, way, way back. He's, he, you know, he and I are like twins, you know, I'm 5'2 and he's 6'7". Oh, you're totally alike. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're identical twins, you know, separated at birth from different mothers, whatever. Um, he, uh, Scott L. Schwartz, he was in Ocean's Eleven with, with, uh, he's the guy that beats up George Clooney, uh, in the room toward the end of the movie. Uh, Brutus, I think, or, or whatever his name is in the film. Uh, but I mean, there's the, I've done stuff, you know, on and off for years, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. That's just how it goes. And it's so funny that, because when I was doing my research for this interview, because I like to do a little bit of research before I do interviews. Nothing ever mentioned anything about your wrestling fandom ever. And it was such a big part of your life, as we just heard. It's just nobody mentions it. Uh, yeah. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that weird? Like, Well, it's not part of my professional career, you know? So I, I, uh, I mean, could I go in and correct IMDb and throw in a, uh, an appearance, a self-appearance on Monday Night Raw. Sure, I could, but for what? Nothing. You know, the, pe the people that saw it, they saw it. You know, it was in Minneapolis, the Ho Ho Hogan Christmas show, the end of 14, okay, fine. And I'm there, I'm hanging out. I was back. actually at that show, fun fact. Were you really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was about two-thirds of the way through the show, and I'm in the back, and one of the guys comes over me and says, hey, Lawler wants to see you. You got to go ringside okay so i go ringside and i'm right behind him in the first couple in the seats just in that first row behind the announcers and jerry goes hey we're going to come out of commercial here and he throws me my t he's carrying my t-shirt because he knew i was going to be there he told me to be there so i'm there the, the triple dog dare you shirt okay fine he's like we're going to come out of the commercial and we're going to we're going to introduce you and the camera's going to come over and you just do the wave and the thumbs up or whatever you're going to do I, okay fine and uh so I did it, and of course, you know, my phone starts lighting up like a Christmas tree, and, you know, the 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 MySpace was going nuts with people going, oh my god, we saw you on Monday Night Raw, and Facebook, and all that stuff, you know, Facebook. Fun fact, my mom was at that show with me, and you were on the Tron, I don't know if you remember that, because they did it for the TV, so they showed you, and... You know what? I wouldn't have known, because I'm straight down below. Well... I, I wouldn't have seen the Tron from where I was sitting. Well, where you were, they showed you on the Tron, and they showed you, and my mom popped so big, I thought she was going to lose her mind. Oh, that's funny. That is funny. Because we were there. My mom didn't want to fucking be there. I'm just going to be honest with you. She she supports me in everything I do, and she's happy that I have this show, but she doesn't like wrestling. She liked, okay. She liked one wrestler, Paige. Do you remember the female wrestler? Oh, pa of course. She loved Paige. She bought a t-shirt from four page like that uh, 
that 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 is the only wrestler my mother ever liked. <laughs> I mean, I have I have a four and a half pound mini teacup chihuahua. She is my little baby girl, and her name is Miss Elizabeth. And so I bring her to the, some of the shows with me, and inevitably she would get kidnapped. Paige would kidnap her, Becky kidnapped her, Natalia kidnapped her. Now, when I say kidnapped her, they took her from catering to the women's locker room. And they would they would hang out and play with the dog for a half an hour, and then somebody would bring her back, you know. And Paige was one of them. I got pictures with Paige and 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 Rusev and Lana and Becky and all of them holding Miss Elizabeth. They all love my doggy girl. Well, I just thought you'd think that was a funny story that we happened to be at the same Raw and that you that's, appearing popped my mom and she didn't want to be there, but you being there kind of made her night because she was so freaking miserable. And if you remember correctly, that was right after they went three hours and raw was just dreadfully long. And that raw wasn't particularly good. <laughs> oh, listen, I love the, uh, the Piper's pit they did in the ring. Cause I was a Piper guy. So I was like, okay, you know, and, uh, well, that's the only Piper's pit I ever got to see live. I'd seen Piper's Pit, obviously, but I'm only 22, so, like... Oh, God. Yeah, no, you missed being on the East Coast, seeing show after show after show, and going to show after show. I'll make it as quick story as I can. We were at the Spectrum, and we're doing a pit. We had set it all up, and Snooka was going to be on the show, and something happened with his flight, whatever. He doesn't show up. He had called. And we're all standing in the uh, green room. The Piper's standing there, and I'm there, you know. But I'm not exactly. I'm not standing next to him, whatever. And Pat Patterson is there, Renee's there, and they're all having this meeting, and they're all scratching their heads. What are we going to do? We got to have a pit. Blah blah blah. It was just a house show. And uh, Piper out of nowhere goes, "I've got it! I've got it! I've got it!" He goes, "Scotty, come here." I said, "What's up?" He goes, "Go out in the audience and find a kid." Your size. We're going to put him in the show with you. Okay. So I've got my 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 little pass and whatever. And I go out and I, I see a kid. Okay, fine. I talk to his mom. He's going to be in the show. Come on. So I bring him in the back. By the time we get back there, he's got Iron Mike Sharp standing there. And he says to the kid, great. You're going to be in the show. This is what you're going to do. He goes, I'm going to come out. I'm going to do a little talk, a little spiel. And then Mike's going to come out. And he's going to do a little talk and a little spiel. He goes, I want you to come out. He goes, can you take your shirt off? Can you look like Mike with the no shirt? It's 13 years old. Sure. Takes his shirt off. They put electric tape over his forearm. Like, remember, Iron Mike Sharp had the leather brace? Right. And he would, like, play with it like he's loading it up. There's something in there. Oh, caca. So they, they put this electric tape on the kid's arm. He's like, okay. And, and he goes, I want you to come out and grab the microphone from me and go, hey, don't mess with my daddy. He goes, Scotty, here. And he throws me a hot rod shirt. Put this on. When he comes out, he's going to say that. You come out and you grab the mic and go, no, no. You don't mess with my daddy. And I had blonde hair like, like Roddy, and I could have been his kid, and it was perfect. We ended up doing it. It all went, you know, well, we did the, uh, the thing. He said something. I said something. I come out, and I grabbed him. We fell to the ground, and the guys just tore the set to shreds. It was great. Was And that story brings me to a question about Roddy, I guess, that I didn't have written down, but I guess I can ask it because it is something I'm curious about. I always heard Roddy was just a creative genius in terms of just throwing shit together and saying, okay, oh. well, this didn't work. Let's do something else. 
off the cuff, last second, that's the guy I want in my corner. If you need something I, done last freaking second. You just, get you, Roddy will do it. Roddy, and whatever it is, it didn't matter. He just, as you said, creative genius. His mind went a million miles a minute and could come up with stuff at the blink of an eye. And you know. I don't remember if it was the pit that we saw in Minneapolis or if it was a different one, but I remember that there was this rumor that he wasn't supposed to be at a show and it was a last-minute thing. This was in the last 10 years, and they flew him out last minute and they threw a pit together in, like, 20 minutes. Oh, I'm sure. And he did his thing. I mean, you know, he was great. You know? Well, it's but also that... Roddy Piper, so <laughs> he's going to do what he's going to do anyway. Listen, he comes out. He gives you the smile. He shakes the head. The hands go out, and it's Roddy. You know uh, that that night that I did that that bit and played his son. Uh, two days later, I got a phone call at five o'clock at night from Vince at my house, asking me what went on. And I told him. He goes, "You can't do that." He goes, "If the kid had sprained an ankle, we could have been sued. We had no paperwork, whatever." I said, "Vince, it really wasn't all that. It was very simple and whatever." And he's like, "That's great." Take down his phone number. He gave me a 24-hour number. He goes, these guys will try and sell ice to an Eskimo. Something goes down, and you're not sure about it. You pick up a phone, and you call this number. They will get a hold of me. Okay. You know. So I wasn't in trouble, so I was fine. So that was Vince Jr., I'm guessing that was. Yeah. Well, Vincent J. or Vincent K. McMahon, not Vince Sr. Vincent K. McMahon. You betcha. You know. I have nothing, you know, I mean, how he's taking care of the boys, health insurance, this and that, I, you know, that's their thing. That's not my thing. Um, he always treated me with love, care, kindness. You, I go to an event. He's there. Linda's there. Linda would come over and give me a hug and how you doing and it's good to see you. And, and Vince would come over, my, my friend, my, my boy, how you been doing? What's going on? How's your family? You know, they, they treated me like family, Stephanie and Hunter treated me like family you know is linda nothing, at the shows nothing. as little as people say she is yeah she yeah no i mean now never you know but back then she went you know well there's always been this talk of she hates wrestling and blah blah blah, blah. she's like uh stewart's wife hated wrestling but that's the business they're in and it's putting them in a financial position of life that they never saw coming you know, they never thought they'd be multi-billionaires. Are you kidding? You know, from that little bupkis office ranch joint warehouse they had in the beginning to a whole building. It's, you know, it's uh, not even night and day. It's, you know, earth and outer space. From that little you know, regional I, thing that Vince bought to what it is now is not the same I mean, thing. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I haven't seen I haven't seen uh, uh, Vin, uh, Linda since 14 when I was at SummerSlam. And I'm in the garage, and I was talking to Pat Patterson, and Linda walked up right after the end of the show, and she looked at me, and she's like, oh, my God. And I hadn't seen her in a long time, and she knew exactly who I was and came over and gave me a hug, and Vince was about 10 feet behind her, and she gave me a hug and a hello, and how you doing? Honey, look who's here. And a smile came over his face. Oh, my God, my friend, how have you been? My goodness, it's been so long. And got, you know. SummerSlam Just... 14 is kind of like it's underrated because it was actually a good show. People shit on it, but I thought it was actually good. You yeah. know what? 
I was in the green room and I was having a blast because I hadn't been to a show in many, many, many years. And uh, I'm sitting talking to Hogan and then I talked to Kane and I talked to Paul Heyman and, and, and Brock Lesnar and a few other guys. But the guys that I didn't know if I'd see, but they were both there that I worked ring crew with back in the day was Tony Chimmel and, and Mark Yeaton. Those were my guys. Those were the guys that I ring crewed with. I've heard nothing you know, but amazing I, things about Chimmel. Uh, listen, a hug, a kiss, a smile. How you been? How's the family? Oh, my God, blah, blah, blah. We talk. I have his number. We still text and once in a while. And how you doing? And what's going on? And Yeaton, I talked to. I went out to uh, his house in Pennsylvania and visited for a day and a half and had a blast and got some stuff from him and, you know, uh, just had a you know, a hoot, man. You know, the other guy was Steve Taylor, who was the head photographer. You know, Steve and I were friends. He uh, he put me on the back of the LJN figure of Don Morocco. The photo on the back is like a card, you know? Right. And uh, But the picture is from the Cap Center, and I am right below, right next to Don's right foot, and I'm right inside, and you can see me sitting there and I've got my hand on my chin. I was bored out of my mind. You know, I had done I had done thirty matches in forty days or whatever it was, and I was just bored out of my mind. And uh, ended up using that same picture, not only on the card on the back of the LJN figure, but it ended up in the WrestleMania two program, which I worked in New York. People forget about WrestleMania two because of how good three was and how monumental the first one was like i don't remember the card or anything but i remember it being a decent show i, I remember well, the crowd was hot you had three cities you had new york chicago and la right so i remember york, the new york crowd was like hot though oh they were hot and we had the roddy piper mr t boxing match right which... you know i took care of i took care of all the celebrities rooms and their booze and their water and their flowers and their fruit and their meat and whatever that was my job vince called me to take care of that for him which i did okay um, then you had Chicago, which was the battle Royal with all the bears guys and, you know, the football players and all that. Okay. You got that. And then LA of course is Bundy and Hogan. Which I actually with, remember with, with being the, a good match for some reason. I don't know why I remember specifically Bundy and Hogan being good, but. Yeah. Well, Bundy, Bundy was a hell of a performer and it, it, it came off well, you know, uh, as a, as a good match it wasn't anything you know right home about oh my god that's you know legendary but it was a good match it was no savage steamboat or michael's oh. razor or anything like that no no but uh you know it uh it was it's the only wrestlemania on a monday it's the only wrestlemania in multiple cities and you know which i'm curious as to why they haven't done that again because now they really have the tech to do it uh you know it's a, it's it's a a panic last minute control thing. What happens if that's kind of what it is? I mean, they're all on, they, they're all talking to each other in every city, you know, even back then Vince could still talk to guys in New York, but now it's so much easier, but it's the production is so massive, you know, that they'd rather just put it in some place with 60 to a hundred thousand seats and run a six-hour show in one place, and everything is right there at their fingertips. 
I still hope they do a WrestleMania in Minneapolis because those crowds are just red hot all the time. It's the arenas. It's what they they want to give to to the company as far as you know the breaks on what the money is and the buildings and all that stuff. You know. I don't know if you remember, but when the Viking the new Viking Stadium opened, uh, we were supposed to get WrestleMania, but something about how the city didn't want to like. I don't know because the city basically had to choose between WrestleMania and the Super Bowl, and I think it's pretty obvious which one they're picking there. Of course, although they're at two different, totally time frames, but I guess it's more the economy of the city, right? You know, can it was they a money thing. Both? Yeah, can they handle both? You know, I mean, I mean, I've been I've been to Minneapolis. I I was there for the '96 All Star Game, All Star Game weekend. I was there. Froze my ass off, but I was there. <laughs> And they were back here for the All-Star Game in 14, the same year you were here for the Christmas thing. But Yeah, but different. You know, it was, uh, you know, when I came in for uh, uh, the All-Star Game, uh, the kid that I went to middle school and high school with was in the three-point shooting contest. His name was Eric Murdoch. He was a point guard out of Providence where he went to college. But I went to, in New Jersey, middle school and high school with him. Great guy, and I called him a couple weeks ahead of time when they announced he was in the in the thing. He was playing for the Bucks at the time, and I said, you know, his grandma coming, your cousin's coming. He's like, no, nah, nobody's coming. Too cold. I said, I'll be there, and he thought I was kidding, you know, because I was coming from California. My ass got on that plane, boy. I got off that plane. I went to the hotel, and, you know, it was Fort Knox, and I didn't have a key. I didn't have nothing, and I went to the NBA security guy there, and I said, this is who I am, and this is who I'm here to see, and he called him and he was like, are you serious? He's really here? And the guy's like, yeah. He's like, send him up to the room. Okay. You know, so I ended up, you know, hanging out with him and then, you know, meeting all the guys and you know, it, was, it was a fun weekend. It's so funny to me that Minneapolis hasn't hosted more of those big events because it is a massive city for one thing. <laughs> and its economy has boomed in the last, even since 96, it's boomed a couple times. And the surplus there is just outrageous. So like they well, could now there's now there's just other things going on up there that you know it's not feasible. The safe it's not feasible. It's not the safest city right now. I'm sure that it is in some areas and whatever, but I don't think that they want to chance it right now. Well, sad, it, but that's where we are. AEW is talking about running their next pay per view there, which uh, I'll be oh, there if they do, but I I wouldn't count on it. Just because the Target Center is such a, I, it they've renovated it since you've been there, but it's still a piece of crap building. <laughs> now listen, it's an older facility. There's no question. Yet, you know that underground gym that they have and 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 uh, workout facility is phenomenal. The full basketball court is fun, and it's all underneath the arena. And people, you know, don't know it's there unless you know it's there. You know, I was catching rebounds from my boy practicing three pointers. So I was down there, you know. But th- they've renovated it a couple of times. They put a big, like, when you first come into the building, it's just all glass windows everywhere. And it's, they've modernized it to an extent, but it's nothing to what, you know, the Staples Center is or something like that. Well, that's a newer facility. You know, if you, if you went to old parks and new parks, you know the differences, you know. I mean, I, I've been friends with Barry Bonds, baseball player, since 1988. And going to old Three Rivers, I mean, it was an old stadium, you know, 
and then I had a chance to go a couple of years ago. Uh, it's probably right after they opened the park, like a year after they opened up the new park. I mean, it's a gorgeous stadium. I went to Candlestick Park when he played for the Giants, and it was just a wind tunnel of frost. And then you go to, you know. AT&T. Uh, well, I think it's like Oracle Park now or whatever. We all call it AT&T Park. You're right. Um, and it's a phenomenal joint. I mean, everything is first class. The locker rooms are first class. The the stadium itself, the restaurants, the the outfield, what they've done. And it's just a it's a great stadium. You know, Dodger Stadium is a dump. It's an old stadium. But people love it. I don't know why. Because they're diehards. And I'm not a Dodger fan, so I could care less, you know. I'll probably never go to Dodger Stadium the rest of my life. I saw a ton of games there. The Giants would come in. Pittsburgh would come in with Barry, and I'd go see them. And other guys that I knew, I'd go see them. The Mets, I'd go and see you know some of those guys that I knew went there. But recently, no, not a chance. I've heard it, City it, Field is kind of a dump for how new it is. I haven't been to City Field. I was at the old Shea Stadium, the old Yankee Stadium. You know, I went to old Anaheim stadium. And then I've been to the new Anaheim stadium, you know, so that's great. I've been to one stadium, not the twin stadium. I don't know if you've been to the new twin stadium target field, but it is top notch. Um, no, I went to old, old, uh, the old stadium, the dome. Yeah. Talk about a wind tunnel. Ah. <laughs> uh, but I was, there for, I was there for a baseball game. So it wasn't nearly as bad as being there for a football game. Well, there was a door there. I don't know if you went in or out this door, but where there's just wind because they've got to have wind blowing in to keep the roof up at that point. Oh, that's funny. It, Listen, I, I've gone to Soldier Field. I saw a Bears game in December. Well, it was December 2nd. didn't make any difference. In December, you want to talk about a wind tunnel and absolute and total frost. That uh, never experienced anything as cold as it was in canada when we shot a christmas story it was almost that cold sitting in soldier field granted i was sitting in the first row right behind the bench and kevin butler the kicker for the bears i had done a after school special with and he moved the heating blower just enough that it got the first row so we could not be absolutely frozen but after the game, in the back, in the tunnel, oh, my God. <clears throat> I had brought a friend of mine with me. Uh, and, and at the same game, Brian Dennehy, the actor, was there. And we were standing in the back and with our gloves and, and caps on. And we were just freezing our asses off. We were laughing, but we were freezing. I never knew that the Christmas story was shot in Canada. Yeah, they shot the interiors of Ralphie's house. It was in a soundstage. Right. Um, and then they shot the Tongue on the Flagpole, which is St. Catharines, which is in the, on, a, on the Canada side between Toronto and Buffalo. Huh. See, you're teaching me things here, Scott. You're, you're, we're yeah, learning. No, it was, you know, and I mean, you're doing that in February, you know, and I mean, with the wind, it was between 22 and 24 below zero. Yeah. I mean, we froze, man, and we had electronic socks, and we had battery-operated long johns, and, you know, we had these little things we had, that the hand warmers, you know, you shake them up, and they're good for like 45 minutes, but after 45 minutes, they were done, and we couldn't change out every 40, 45 minutes. Our hands froze, even with the battery-operated whatever, our toes were, oh, God, you know, 
it was it was not nearly as much fun because of the weather you know i mean i did the toy in louisiana and it's 85 to 102 degrees down there but they had a bigger budget so they could do things to so it wouldn't we wouldn't die of heat stroke you know uh but it was so much more fun you know you go out and have pool parties and you know hang out and and christmas story thank god for video games and pinball machines otherwise peter and i would have killed people i mean it would have been ridiculous would have been the worst movie shoot you've probably ever been a part of oh and I don't know if you've ever got to meet him, but as we're doing this interview, news broke a couple hours ago. I guess it was this morning now, uh, Pacific time anyway, that uh, Al Snow uh, saved yes. saved a kid from a riptide. Absolutely. I did read that. I left the, I, I, I sent a message over to Al and put a thing on his Facebook page. I just saw him three weeks ago. We just did a show together three weeks ago. I've heard great things about Al. I've never gotten the opportunity to meet him, but I've heard just nothing but kind, sweet man who cares about people. He is a good dude. He's a good hearted dude. You know, I mean, and I've known Al for years and years and years and got nothing but love for him. I see him and it's a hug and a kiss on the cheek and how the hell are you doing and what's going on and has a family and all that good stuff. You know, just, well, I wanted to bring that up to you because I didn't know if you knew him. I'm glad you told the story you did there because it, I've never heard a bad word out of anybody's mouth about Al Snow. Because, no. And I mean, the way you started that, I thought something bad had happened to somebody and I was going to start being in a panic. And the minute you said Al Snow, I was like, Whew. yes, I know what happened. You know, no, I wouldn't is, spring anything bad on you without you. He's a, he is a man's man. He truly is. You know, he holds himself in high esteem. He takes care of people. He's a good hearted person. You know, you, if somebody, any of the listeners see him at a show. Go spend a 10 or 20 bucks, give it to him, get an autograph and take a picture because he's worth every, every cent of it. Because wonderful, wonderful chances are you're going to get more than a picture out of him. He's probably going to give you a good conversation. Just open your mouth, start talking to him. He'll respond, you know, which is, it leads me to like the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, God rest his soul was Paul Orndorff. You know, Paul Orndorff was an invert. He didn't talk to anybody. I mean, I saw him, how many shows, 150, 160 shows, whatever it was. And I mean, this man didn't say five words to me. I'd say, how you doing, Paul? Okay. You know, and years, decades later, they were doing a WrestleCon out here and it was a reunion show and they had a pit out and whatever. And I got in the room early and he walked in. He's like, hey, do you know what time they're starting this thing? I said, it's 930. I said, I said, Paul, you're early. It's only like 840. You know, they're not here yet. Oh, okay. And then we started chit-chatting. I said, Paul, you never said five words to me. He's like, I didn't say five words to anybody. I was an invert. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was there to do my work and go home and see my family. And that was it. But how the hell are you doing? Then we're talking about his kids and his grandkids and all this stuff. And we had a wonderful conversation. And then I got a hug and how you doing and all that stuff. The few times I saw him after that. Greg Valentine, a lot of the same. You know, now I see Greg and it's a hug and a kiss. And he just wonderful. But back then, different guy. It's so funny to me that, you know, now we're to that point where people like Paul Orndorff, you know, rest in peace, obviously. But like Greg Valentine and things like that. And I wanted to ask you this because you seem to know him better than everybody. Let's talk about Randy Savage for a second. Obviously, his untimely passing in 2011 
do you think he would have gone back on his own volition to WWE? Had had he not passed? Oh, I mean, they might have mended the fences, of course. You know, they might they they sure as might have mended the fences after years, of course. You know, that's just my opinion. You know, um, similar to the Warrior situation, almost. Yeah, yeah. You know. I mean, you know, the things that were said that some things went on, some things didn't go on. You know, Randy was kind of a tough duck. He, he was a tough guy. You know, if, if you didn't know him or if, you know, you just you just something that that one percentage of he just didn't feel comfortable. Forget it. I always you heard know. that. And Bruce Pritchard, I don't know if you've heard that name ever, but of course, Bruce Pritchard said on his podcast. I guess this was a while ago with Conrad that with Conrad basically asked him, when did you know that Savage was going to walk out the door and go to Atlanta for Ted and Bischoff and Hogan and all that. And he said they had a meeting and they basically had a meeting in Vince's car. And once Savage got out of the car, they knew it was over. Well, because Randy still wanted to go. He still wanted to do his thing, and they wanted him to sit by the mic. Right. They were pushing the new guys, the Gen X guys and all that. And Randy still had fuel in the tank. And he proved that in WCW because he... And of course, you know. And I mean, even with the divorce of Miss Elizabeth, you know, he did love her and all of that. And at the end of the day, I, I think, you know, before his passing, you know, I think he kind of came to the revelation that he did push it a little bit too much you know he really did because there were rumors before his passing not i don't think it was two weeks before his passing that there was a thing going around that he might be coming back and doing some shots for vince so listen again i'm i it's very well possible you know uh and that's kind of just the crazy what ifs that you know wrestling fans do and you know how the wrestling world is the fans are what if this and what if that listen there 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 have been a few people in my life that have uh how do i want to say it they are they're etched in my heart okay and randy and liz were two of those people that were etched in my heart you know we had wonderful conversations at dinners him calling me up at home, Scotty, what's going on? What time are you getting into Atlanta tomorrow? You know, those kind of things, you know, and, and picking them up and the talks and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, when Liz passed, you know, I'm a man enough to tell you, man, it crumbled me. I cried for three months. You would have thought I was married to this woman. I'm not kidding. I mean, the love that I had for her and I I think she had for me, you know, because of her kindness and friendship and conversations, and it crumbled me, you know. Um, Randy passes, and then I get the other end of the spectrum, and it all comes back again, and it crumbled me. And the Hall of Fame, there was nothing stopping me going, you know, up to Northern California and – I'm standing in the back, and I had a, a, a my pass, but it didn't give me my seats yet. So I was waiting for Jerry Lawler to bring me my, my tickets. And Lanny walks over to me, and he says, oh, good, you're here. I need your advice. Come with me. So he took me in, in the little tunnel background, and he did the speech 
that he was given for Randy. And I am 85% crumbling inside my body. I mean, I am just a lump of jelly. But at the same time, Lanny asked for my advice, being the actor guy, on his speech. He wanted me to give him some, you know, places where to do breaks and give a this or whatever, pause or whatever. And uh, Tremendous I'm not kidding speech, when I tell you, when I went out to the crowd and they did the introduction and, 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 the, the, and Lanny came out, every pocket I had, my pants pocket, every pocket, my back pants, my suit jacket inside, I had Kleenex in every pocket because it all came out. I let it go. I let all of it. And I mean, I'm, I was, and people that were sitting next to me were like, Hey, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, they were my friends, you know, and I miss them and all that. And they were like, okay, if you need something, let us know. We want to make sure you're okay. I'm like, no, I'm, I'll be fine. You know? So, I mean, you know, that's my love of the two of them, you know, as of course my little baby girl is named Miss Elizabeth. Um, I got a chance to go to Kentucky several times, and I have visited Miss Elizabeth's gravesite. I've been there. I've cleaned it up. I've talked to her. You know, uh, Randy has no gravesite; just at the house. You know, the ashes, whatever they did. You know, uh, but uh, again, things come full circle. I'm friends with Steve Taylor to this day, and contacted him i was going to new york he's like perfect timing i'm cleaning the garage we're gonna move i got some stuff for you okay so i meet up with him and i got some stuff from him and uh he says to me i have two things here that i'm giving to you i said okay he says i, I would prefer that you don't sell them i said okay he's like they came from my office at wwf they were on my walls i said okay he hands me his original print of the mega powers of Randy and Hogan, 11 by 14 print framed from his office. And I'm like, no problem. It's going in my bedroom. They ain't going nowhere. He's like, okay, but I got one more. And he hands it to me. And again, I'm, I'm losing it. It's the original 11 by 14 of Miss Elizabeth sitting in the white dress that immaculate portrait shot of her. And I said, Stephen, they might as well throw it in the grave with me. They might as well throw it in a box because it's not going anywhere. That had to be an emotional day, seeing that stuff again and not, oh. not knowing that it was even still around. Well, you know, again, it was from Stephen's office and he knew that it would mean something. You know, uh, Mark Yeaton, you know, he and I had been friends. We visited whatever, and I was going to be not close, close to his house. It was like a, an hour and a half drive, but it was like an hour and a half drive for me and whatever. And we met for lunch, and it was the holidays, and I had something for him and his wife. You know, here's your Christmas present, whatever. And he said, well, I brought you something too. And he hands me an envelope, and I knew exactly what it was when he handed it to me. I knew the color. I knew exactly what it was. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like, is this what I think it is? He goes, well, you're going to have to open it up. And there's an envelope inside the envelope. And I mean, I start 
the insides start getting emotional because I knew what it was. And as I took it out, I see it. You are cordially invited to the wedding of Randy Macho Man Savage and Miss Elizabeth at Madison Square Garden, SummerSlam, blah, blah, blah. And I'm getting emotional. He goes, well, you got to open up the damn thing. And I looked at him as if, you know, I'm, telepathy is saying to him, are you shitting me? And he's like, open it up. And as I open it up, Randy and Liz had signed it. And I have it. It's in my safe at home. I can't really frame it because it's like double-sided. If you open it up, the signature is kind of on one side of the card. And, and the, the invitation thing with the writing is on the other side. So it's tough to frame it. Um, but every so often, I take it out and I look at it and I have a good memory. And, you know, if I go see Liz and, you know, I, I told her I got it and this and that, you know. She, uh, she was a special lady. You know, she really was. And, you know, all the stories about Randy being crazy and this and that. Now I can confirm things. They always took the last dressing room in a building, wherever it was. It was always the last dressing room. That was their dressing room. You know, they had their own room and that was the furthest away from everybody. You know, I never saw them lock her in or do any of that crazy kind of stuff, you know. But, you know, she kept her, uh, he kept her away from the boys if you weren't working the gimmick with them, you didn't talk to her. That was just how it was. Was his relationship with Stephanie as close as everyone thinks it was? Good question. Couldn't tell you. Never brought it up back then. Well, I just, I didn't know because I, I, I'd heard that they were always close and she, Stephanie obviously just, you bring up Randy Savage to her and it's just a three hour conversation, but it, it seems like people try to spin that into something that it probably wasn't, which is, you know, I, again, you, I don't know. You don't know. The only people that know realistically are probably Vince, Stephanie and Paul. And that's probably it that know the absolute for sure. You know, I, I don't think Randy would have shared that with anybody. That wasn't his kind of way. He was, you know, standoffish. So, you know, he wasn't the shoot the shit kind of guy. Right. You know, um, uh, but, you know, I can tell you that, that, you know, I mean, Stephanie, we know loved Andre the Giant. We know that, that she, she cares for Hogan and we sure as shit know that she really cared for Randy, you know, and because of her age and she's Vince's daughter. Right. So it's like everybody thought of her as, you know, she's the family. You know, no harm was ever going to come to this girl. Nobody was going to mess with this girl. Nothing. And if anybody ever did, they were going to have wrestlers out their ass coming at them. Oh, please. That that would have been, you know, Mayhem. it would have looked like the movie Airplane. You know, when everybody's beating up the, the woman that's uh, screaming on the plane, that would have been WWF guys. They'd have just lined up to beat the hell out of whoever did something to Stephanie. You know, but she was a sweet kid. I met her. She was like 12, 11, whatever. Uh, somebody else, Stephanie, has come out and said that she really likes. She was never in the company for very long, but unfortunately she just passed away last week. And under really under unfortunate circumstances, Daphne, um, I don't know if you heard about this at all. Oh, I hear, I hear about all of it, you know, but Daphne wasn't in my generation. I didn't know her. You know, I saw a little bit of the few matches, maybe, you know, 
I mean, you know, I, I know Tori Wilson. I know Victoria. You know, Lisa's one of my good friends. Uh, you know, I've met Lita several times. I've been friendly with her and Trisha. I've met several times, you know. And uh, one, of, one of the women that to this day, she is family. She's like a sister. There is nothing I wouldn't do for this woman is rockin' Robin Smith. That's a name I haven't heard in forever. Which is amazing because she holds the second longest streak of holding the woman's belt. It's amazing. They don't mention her. They don't talk they about. They don't her. mention her. They don't mention her. They don't talk about her. You know, uh, you know, as as it started, you know, I met her, but I didn't even know who I was meeting because she wasn't who she was. She lived in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I shopped a toy in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. She was actually an extra in the movie before wrestling. And I, I met her, you know, a couple times when I was there, you know, hey, how you doing, whatever. And she never said anything to me. And then on social media, you know, I saw her and we sort of reconnected. And she's like, oh, my God, I can't wait to see you. I have so much to tell you. And I'm thinking, okay, you know. And uh, we, we got together and she started telling me about being on the toy and this and that, and blah, blah, blah. That's it. You know, she's my girl. I, I, if I'm anywhere near her, I will take an extra day or two on my trip just to make sure I go see her. We have a meal. We bullshit for three, four hours, whatever. She's a confidant. Great, great lady. And a lot of people don't know this. The half-sister of Jake the Snake Roberts. Well, more people know now because of the, the darker side of the ring thing they did or whatever it was. You know, the they know a lot more of what's come out you know there and i knew all that stuff before because she told me you know and all that but and jake's back in the business i mean of course he's a diehard he's a you know uh you know one of the things that i cherish because there's probably not three of them on planet earth um we were at a show and there were two different buildings one building was robin was in there signing autographs and the other building jake was in there signing autographs and I'm standing outside the building where Jake was, and here comes Robin, and she had gotten something to drink or lunch or whatever. And I said, listen, I know you know what you've told me and all that, but I sort of have a favor. She's like, what do you want? I said, I want a picture of me, you, and your brother. And she looked at me, and she said, Scotty, for you, I will do it. But there's not been a picture of me and my brother taken together in 25 years, if not longer. And we went in, and she said hi to her brother. And they then he stood up, and I have a picture of me and the two of them. And I don't think more than two or three people on planet Earth have that photo. And again, you know, I've always had a fun time with Jake, and I know what happened, and it is what it is. She's forgiven him, and so all is that, you know. But uh, you know, she is again. She's one of those people. She's at a show. Go spend a ten or twenty bucks to meet her. Sweetheart of a woman. She's family to me. You know when this. The hurricane hit last week. I'm sending her text messages. Hey, please tell me you're okay. You know, I'm surprised. And does she live? She lives in Louisiana, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised. And I know it probably won't happen, but I feel like from what I know about her, she'd be pretty good on commentary. I'm surprised nobody's called her to do it. it. You know, she's far removed from that time in her life. And she got into real estate. She buys and sells houses and flips houses and rebuilds houses. And she does the real estate thing and she loves what she does. And, 
you know, she's in a good place, you know, and I don't know if she wants to go back to being that public persona again. She has her anonymity, you know, right. 9.9 out of, out of uh, 99 out of 100 people have no idea who she is. They might buy a house from her and have no idea who she is other than she's Robin. And that's fine with her. That's good. She's good with that. But she's comfortable in her skin. And I, and I have nothing but respect for that. And I have respect for it, too. And I can respect the fact that she wants to remain where she is. But like we say, and it's a wrestling fan, what if bullshit thing of, you know, what if she did commentary? She'd probably be pretty good at it. And I think she probably would. The generation wouldn't know who the hell she was. You know, and that's, you know, that's another thing. They want a face that sometimes people know or a young face. And she's certainly, you know, she's not that, you know, she's. Late fifties, early sixties at this point. A Wikipedia has her listed at fifty six. Yeah, fifty six. Yeah, she's three years older than me. But I just feel like that would just—I don't know—if she was going to do it, I think it would be for AEW because AEW would do right by her in terms of putting her over and making everybody sure everybody knows. Hey, you know, this is what this woman has done, and this is who she is. But I—I I don't know that it'll ever happen. Which is, and it's so sad now that WWE has done what they've done with their legends and they've chased so many of them away. Paul White just left the company earlier this year. Mark Henry left the company. Uh, Jake's not with them anymore. Uh, and some of it, I'm sure, happened by accident. Some of it, I'm sure they didn't mean any disrespect by. But they well, did. It's also what... what their game plan is, you know? And we don't know what the game plan is. You know, they've gone with the the younger generation, the younger crowd to try and get the younger fans, you know, and these old guys or old women, you know, the, the days of May Young and, and uh, uh, Fabulous Moolah walking through the door are over. You know, how have they not even brought Wendy Richter back in some form or fashion for something? How has no one brought her back? How has AEW, how has TNA, how has no one called her? her? Who knows? Maybe they did. Maybe she said, you know what? Uh, uh, Thanks, but I'm good. You know, I I don't need that anymore. You know, she's done a couple of the shows, a couple of interviews, not many. You know, I still have a little bit of contact with her once in a blue moon. You know, if I find something you know, a photo or something, I'll send it over. And she always says, thank you. You know, I have a great photo in the back of me and her from 86 of me holding the woman's championship belt with her, you know, in her prime, you know, and, uh, you know, but she didn't have the greatest parting with them either. You know, Moolah had a lot to do with that. And the company wasn't really woman orientated at that point. They you still know. aren't. Their women's revolution kind of died, and then AEW picked it up and has carried it. Well, I mean, you know, you got to have characters. I mean, Charlotte Flair is great. You know, Sasha Banks, I met, you know, she kind of just spurned me, and, you know, I was kind of like, heard that. Really? I've heard that about her. You're not the first person to say that. I don't know if you know the you name, know? but Rob Hockman, a uh, good friend of mine, was on the show and said a lot of the same about Sasha, kind of just you know, just, you know, just didn't give me any kind of a warm feeling at all. And it's like, really? Okay. Um, Becky Lynch, I adore. She, we were at a show uh, out here in Ontario, California, and somebody had sent her a basket for her dog. 
like a doggy basket, you know? Right. And she's going, oh, you know, it's so sweet and whatever. I can't get it home. You know, they fly with their little bags. She's not bringing this thing home or whatever. And she looks at me. She goes, Scott, come here. I said, yeah. This is for Miss Elizabeth. I gave me the doggy bag. <laughs> you know, the big, it's a basket. I mean, it's a huge basket of doggy stuff. I said, thank you. She said, I love your baby girl. Oh, your baby girl. Oh, oh. So, I mean, Becky's wonderful. Um, she's a Nick- larger than life character. Like we were just oh, talking about. Man, she's I a, love it. She's a character. And love it. Did you see her come back at SummerSlam? Oh, yeah. Did you oh, see yeah. the even just the clip? Oh, yeah. That crowd ate her up. Oh, she's phenomenal. You know, and uh, I don't personally care for WWE's current product and it's not for everybody. And I get it. They're not aiming it at me. I've come to understand that they're not aiming their current product at my generation. It's just a kind of a accept it type thing. But Becky is someone who everyone connects with because of how much bigger than life she is. And she's very relatable and they're trying to turn her heel and it's not working. It was a genius move if they had somebody to replace her. But they don't. Yeah, no. I mean, uh, Natalia, okay? Good talent, good performer, a sweetheart. She's a wonderful woman. We were in uh, Denver, and uh, I happened to be there for another event thing that I was doing. And I go, and I'm standing there, and I'm at the right outside the garage. And here she comes, and she's got these big bags and whatever. And I went over. I said, I said Natalia, let me help you out here. And I didn't know her. I hadn't really talked to her, you know. She's like, okay. And um, so I said, how you doing? She said, oh, good. And then I said, listen, I said, we really never chatted, but my name is Scotty. This is who I am. Da, 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 da. I used to drive your father around. I used to take care of your dad. Really? Uh-huh. We kept chatting and whatever. I said, listen, if you talk to him, you know, tell him I said hi. She's like, okay. And it's funny because the same night I was talking to Randy Orton and said the same thing to him. Tell your dad I said hi. And he was like, you know my dad? I'm like, yeah, and your dad knows me. Don't worry. Just tell him I said hi. And the next night they were in Colorado Springs and again, I'm standing outside the door and here comes Natalia with the same big bags. And I said, I'll help you out. She's like, Scotty, thank you. Talk to my father this morning. He told me I'm supposed to be nice to you because he loves you. (laughs) And I said, that's very sweet. She goes, you know what? My father does not remember a lot of people's names, but the minute I said your name, he knew who you were. And I said, well, I probably drove him a hundred times, you know? She's like, yeah, but you don't know my father. He doesn't remember everything, but he knows you. And so, I mean, it, it started that just loving kindness, friendship thing. And the same thing with Randy, he talked to his dad and he's like, yeah, dad says, hi, you couldn't believe it. That I saw you and now I'm going to, I'm actually going to be at a show with the, with, with the Orton in with Bob in uh, Tennessee, the, the hazard fest show next month, he's going to be there. And I can't wait to go see him. I give him a hug and a kiss and say, how you doing brother? He's still doing appearances. I yeah. People don't realize that that Bob Orton is still he's he's still around. He's doing stuff. He he had done a uh, he was doing a signing in New Jersey, which is where I grew up, at a friend of mine's memorabilia place, and I was there like two weeks before this. So I wrote a little note for him, and I told the the owner shop Mario. I said Mario, when Bob gets here, give him this. He's like okay. 
So a couple of weeks goes by, Bob shows up, he sits down and he had, you know, it was a timepiece thing and he signed so many pieces or whatever. So I knew what the deal was. And I wrote on the note, Bob, don't say shit. Just sign away and go home. Get paid and go home. So he told me, he said, Bob read the note with my name on it. He goes, yep, Scotty knows me really well. Love that kid. Uh, it's so funny to me that, and Bob Orton's one of those guys that kind of got looked at as an asshole, but I never believed it just because of, you know, interviews I've seen of him and people that I it was know. was a character. That, right. No, but even off even off screen, people had characterized him as such, and some oh, of that I was nothing. I had nothing but fun with that guy, and some of you that know. was because of how Randy was early in his career. You know, do you know who I am? That whole incident at the arena and Randy oh. being Randy. That night when I met Randy, they sat me in that corner spot when they came. The guys came down the ramp on the left is that corner, you right. Know? that spot ringside and that's where they put me and uh randy came out he did his walk around he passed me he stopped he turned around and he stuck his tongue out and gave me a raspberry <laughs> you know that's the, the the sense of humor you know that just it just happened you know when cena came out of this you know he came out and he gave me a salute you know he just stood right at the ring and looked at me and gave me the salute. And I was like, oh, that's cool. You know. Is John as, like, bigger than life kind of just chill guy who really just yep. kind of wants to be left alone? No, no. You don't have to leave him alone. Very approachable guy. You know, since the day I met him, very, very approachable. I don't know if you know this, but his grandfather played professional baseball. I did not know that. And had a, I believe it's a 48 leaf trading card. And uh, I found a couple of them on eBay and I bought them and they were like eight bucks. It wasn't any big major investment, whatever. But I found a couple cards, whatever. And I saw John and I said, I got something for you. Can you come over here? I got, it's my bag and whatever. John's like, okay. And he comes over and I handed him the two cards. He goes, this is my grandfather. I said, I know. That's why I got them for you. He's like, you're giving them to me? Yeah, it's your grandfather. I thought it was pretty cool. If you didn't have one, here you go. He's like, no, I don't have one. But now I got one for me and one for a kid. If I ever have one, thank you. I appreciate that. That's really cool. John, no problem. They, they've done such a good job of making John look like a good guy. But I, I, I feel like he actually is. And everybody that's met him has said the same thing. Just it's, really nice guy. It's within him. It's within him. That's his makeup. He's the Hulk Hogan of this generation. His makeup is of a good, kind-hearted human being. That's what he is. You know, that's that's you know, in the in the, you know, again, I met him in 14. Yeah, I met him in 14. The seven years I've known him, nothing but kindness, a smile, how you doing? understands who he is what he is what he brings to the table what he means to people you know he's made differences in people's lives and to have that ability it's not everybody that can do that he was he's that guy you know and and, and it's he, so yeah. funny that people want to try to portray him as an asshole 
it's like no he's not he's just he's just john man it's who he is he's a nice you know, guy listen, there there are there are people that i've met and and being in show business for over 44 years now i understand when you meet somebody the first time you don't know if they're having a good day or a bad day that's just what this is i met a i met a a Hall of Fame baseball player now. He's, he's in the Hall of Fame. Won't mention his name. But he was having a very bad day the day that I met him. I was in an elevator in Anaheim Stadium with one of the other players. He got in. How you doing? He did the introduction. Yeah. He was having a bad day. The next day, it was on the news that his wife filed for divorce. Oh, no. So I meet him basically the day before it gets announced. Okay. This was September, October, November, December, December. It's five months later. I'm in Las Vegas at the Nine, at, at the uh, the Palms Hotel Casino. I'm at the Nine, which is their steakhouse. And I was meeting a couple of friends there, and I walked in, and the guy is sitting at the bar all by himself having a drink. And I had a few minutes, and I walked over, and I said, hey, how you doing? Okay. I said, listen, I don't know if you remember me. This is when we met. Da-da-da-da-da. Okay. And I told him I was friends with Barry. And I said, listen, man, what do you want to know about divorce? Barry Bonds taught me about my divorce. That's, I mean, I'm very close with, with Barry and his family. And I'm sitting there with this other guy, and I started talking to him about divorce. You know, and, and he's looking at me, and he's like, Barry taught you all this stuff? I said, yeah. Get him on the phone. So I got, I called Barry and picked up the phone. I said, hey, your friend is here. Hold on a minute. And I, they talked for a minute. We got off the phone. We had a 35-minute conversation that was spectacular. This was a different day, and it was a different approach to the whole thing and situation, knowing what I what he had gone through. And now I've seen him a couple of times, and I mean, I don't care who's there. <coughs> I've met him at events where guys are paying him thirty and fifty thousand to show up, and if he sees me, he will not go over to them. He will come over to me first. And go, my friend, how in the hell are you? He gives me a bear hug and come and hang out with me. And if he's doing an autograph signing, I've sat next to him during the autograph signing because he wants me sitting next to him. I mean, he is an absolute pussycat, but that first meeting, it was a bad day. So if you meet somebody famous and they're a prick, they might be having a bad day. Some Speaking of Hall of Fame baseball players, uh, I had the opportunity to meet Rod Crew many, 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 many years ago. And just, I don't know if you've ever met Rod Carew. Mm-hmm. Sweetest, nicest man you will ever meet. Ah, you know, listen, he, he, you know, he plays in 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 your town over in Minneapolis, and it's a uh, they treated him well, and he comes to Anaheim, and they treated him well, and people cared for him and took care of him, and they bought the merch, and he made a hell of a nice living, and and didn't get hit with a lot of racial stuff that other players did. You know, so he was always very, very kind to anybody. You know, there's 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 other Hall of Famers I've met who just didn't like white people because they got tortured in the cities they played in. Boston in being, the, I've heard, to, one of the worst. Of course. Oh, my God. You know, Bill Russell, he's out there winning MVP and championship after championship, and they're burning crosses on his front lawn. It's like, what are you doing? 
you know, I wasn't even alive back then. I wasn't even a thought. You know, it's, it's like, look at what this guy's doing for your city and you're doing this to him. What the hell is wrong? Oh. What's wrong with you? Yeah, it's funny. You know, you, we bring this up and whatever. You know, I had a chance to meet him. It was the first show appearance he had ever done. We were in San Francisco and I was signing autographs there. And I waited till he was done with the general public. And I went and uh, went in the back. And I had a photo that I had signed to him of me and Richard Pryor from the toy. You know, and I said, thank you, Mr. Russell. You know, one of the greatest of all time, blah, blah, blah. And I walked over and I handed it to him. And he goes, you want me to sign this? I, I said, no, Mr. Russell, it's a gift. It, it, it's me. And he goes, wait a minute. But that's Richard. And I said, yeah. He's like, that's you. You did the move. Yeah. Oh, that was a good movie, The Toy. That was a fun movie. Well, it's nice to meet you. And he shook my hand. I didn't ask him for an autograph. I didn't ask him for a photo. I said, it was a pleasure, blah, blah, blah. And I walked away. The promoter came over to me afterwards, and he said, we are the only two white people he spoke to. That was it. You know, wow. I mean, maybe he's changed since then, you know, but I understood because of where he came from, you know. It's yeah, so I mean, funny that Willie Mays and Bo oh God, that Boston is still getting that rap because it's still happening. I mean, it's so it. I view racism as a very pathetic thing. It's like what? Why? There's no point to this. There is no point. Listen, I grew up in a majority white neighborhood, but I had kids of color, black kids that went to school with me and they were my friends. As I was saying before, Eric Murdoch, he wouldn't have graduated high school if not for me. He cheated off me all the time. <laughs> you know? Carl Malone thought it was hysterical. Uh, uh, Eric got traded over to Utah and uh, or he got drafted by Utah, excuse me. Got drafted by Utah and I'm meeting Carl Malone and I'm telling the stories and Carl Malone's laughing hysterically. You know? And then of course, you know, I did the movies. You know? And I worked with I worked with gay people on Broadway. I worked with black people. I, it didn't matter. They were just people. And meeting Richard Pryor, my mentor, my teacher, he was a colorless person. He didn't say, hey, that white guy over there or that black guy. No, he didn't do that with me. It was that guy or that guy. And we conversed about everything you could possibly imagine. And man was colorless. And I've been the same way my whole life. If you treat me with respect, I treat you with respect. If you treat me like an asshole, well, guess what you're going to get in return? Well, you know, my opinion is it. treat people with respect until they give you some sort of reason not to. Exactly. You know, and, and you know, I, I don't understand it, especially in the, in the, over the last 30, 40, 50 years, the things that have been done for, the, the lesser communities to try and help them. But there's an old saying, you got to want to help yourself and hard work pays off. And there's just some people they don't want to do that. You know, a lot of things have changed entertainment wise, music wise influences, you know, uh, that have changed people's dynamics and what they think and how they think, you know, it's not something that people want to talk about, but, right the truth is the truth and it's there it is what it is you know i grew up and we had smoky robinson and sydney pointier and the temptations and you know uh um oh god jim brown you know dr j 
you know, did movies also, you know, whatever. My, you know, my, one of my heroes was Walter Payton, who I got to meet. And he was incredible and just a sweet man. Uh, but those were the guys that, that I looked up to. And I didn't care what color they were. They were a good influence on the general public. Because it doesn't matter what color they are at the end of the day, because they're good people. It's like people... And I've heard stories because Morgan Freeman, you know, he's just one of the most public faces. Oh. Ever. He even he gets racism still. It's like, dude, have you ever heard anything this guy does? He does nothing but good things. Exactly. And he tries to make people understand. Be logical, be sensible, work hard. Don't expect things to be given to you. I've listened to interviews with him and have all the respect in the world for this man because he says it the way it is. He doesn't sugarcoat. He doesn't give you the PC version of life and reality. Well, I don't think, I don't think there's, and I had somebody try to tell me that, Oh, you know, not being racist is being too PC. It's like, there's nothing PC about not being racist. It's just, kind of the right thing to do just don't be a prick okay but if you think about what you just said don't be racist that's the wrong thing to say just be a kind person to others don't care what race creed color they are does it matter just be a good human being right everybody it it shouldn't matter in my opinion exactly it doesn't matter you know i mean I've said things and people have said to me, oh, well, you're racist. And I'm like, listen, if that's what you think, you know nothing about me, my life, who I am, what I've experienced, who my mentor and idol and teacher was. You know, I mean, Richard Pryor to me has been the greatest person in the world I've ever met. The things he did with me and for me, the doors he opened the kindness he showed me. I mean, outside of having a key to his home, he told his wife, his nurse, his maid, when he was going through MS, if Scotty shows up at this house at two o'clock in the morning with some girl and he wants to get in the hot tub and get laid, somebody better open the door for him. I mean, that's brotherly love. He was my guy. And... I, I wish he was here because the words would be never ending of the stuff he would be saying to people. He, I've always heard that, that a lot of what you're saying about Richard Pryor, I've never heard anybody say anything bad about him. Oh no. Listen, before he burned himself up, he was a prick. He was a hundred percent asshole. He told me that he told me that because the drugs and the booze and the, the crack and all that shit turned him into a very, very horrible human being. And we had, when he had had enough, and he poured the Bacardi over his head and lit himself on fire, he killed that guy. He got rid of that guy, and he wanted to be a better human being to society and a better human being to people. And I came at the right time. I was afterwards, and it was the first really big movie he was doing. And even though... In some circles, it's not highly regarded because of <clears throat> the subject matter, you know, him being a toy for a white kid and all that sh- nonsense. But he and I struck a chord 
with each other, within each other. We had similar likes, and I was a fanatic. I loved Richard. I loved Silver Streak. You know, I, I loved, you know, Live on a Sunset Strip, and I loved Stir Crazy and Bingo Long. I was a movie junkie, and I loved everything about him. And he loved the fact that I did impressions. Gleason was the same way. I would do stuff with him. There was no filter. He would drop F-bombs every five words. Didn't matter. It was Richard. You know, and my my dad didn't, my family didn't care about that stuff. You know, it's a word. Who cares? You know, whatever. You're um, going to hear it someday. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he filled my mind up with nothing but knowledge and information. And I was inquisitive. You know, we would have talks about everything from, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X and this guy and that guy and these people. And, you know, just he was a, a very studious man was under, reading books, underlining, highlighting things always if he wasn't on, on set working, you know, uh, a master of, you know, ad-libbing and, and, and just going off the cuff, you know, and helped me tremendously with that. You know, there, there, there is nothing I could ever do in my life to repay what he did for me and with me. You know, when he was going through the MS, I was going to the house. Nobody else was coming over because they don't want to see somebody in that condition. But I felt it was my job. I got to go see Rich, you know, at least once, if not twice a week. I got to go see him. When he couldn't talk anymore, it was okay. I would talk to him and tell him what was going on in my life and this and that and whatever. And he would blink his eyes and I knew he was there and he knew I was there. You know, and his passing is, you know. One of the, the darker days in, in my life, and it's a strange day because he passes on December 10th on the calendar, which is the same day the toy opened in the movie theaters. So every time I have an anniversary for the toy, I also have an anniversary for Richard's passing. You know, I miss him and, and just, you know, there's not enough superlatives I could use to tell you how wonderful a human being this man was to me. It it blows my mind that he somebody who went through what he did with the lighting himself on fire and doing all that it blows my mind that he turned such a dark time into really just flipping a 180 and saying i'm just going to go be a better person yeah cuz not everybody laid, not everybody would have been able to do that nah he laid in that hospital bed for months laid in that bed for months bandaged up getting skin grafts doing that but he couldn't talk and he was just all in his head and he just knew that that guy was gone because there's no addict now that's gone. Once you're someplace for three months and you don't have that stuff and you're off that stuff, you don't go back so fast when you know, you know, the road it's going to take you down. You know, I mean, I had the greatest teacher of about drugs and women, and sex and life. This guy lived all of it. And he said to me, if you got a question about something, just call me. I'll tell you everything you want to know because I did everything. There ain't nothing I ain't done, boy. Okay. You know, and he said to me, he's like, listen, you want to do drugs? You do drugs. However, just think of this. He goes, there's a short road and it has a brick wall. You do drugs. That's the road you're going to go down. You're going to hit the brick wall. You may hit it lightly. You may hit it hard. You may not survive it. Now, on the other hand, there's Route 66. That's the no drugs, the no booze, the non-alcoholic. You go down that road, goes all the way from one coast to the other and back and forth, 
and you can keep living your life going back and forth across that road happily. Why the hell would you want to go down the road with the brick wall? In how reality, not, nobody should want to. <laughs> how can you how can you not understand that and respect that? You know, I mean, I've met people in 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 the industry, and and they've had their issues and their problems, and some get over it, and some don't. And I go, why? Do you not understand the concept of life and what you're doing to yourself? Which road do you want to go down? And I told them the same thing. They're like, yeah, I get it, but th there's no but. What do you want to do? You want to end up in rehabs and jail? What do you want to do? And, and if it's that much pressure that you seemingly are under, you're in the wrong job. I guess you got to find a new gig. You know? It's show business is show business is not a business of high pressure unless you put it there. You know, you can be the biggest star in the world, but if you're the nicest guy, people will leave you alone. Richard told me that years ago. It's it's I mean, I've been out in the LA scene for 30 years. Very rarely. I'm talking maybe less than a handful of times have I had TMZ or any of those kind of people come up and want to talk to me and whatever. They all go to Scotty. He's a good guy. We'll leave him be. Okay. I'm good with that. That's all. And it's so funny that, you know, we talk about TMZ and all that crap because it's like they're only going to do what's going to get them clicks, right? Oh, yeah, of course, you know. and Just don't do something that's going to let them get clicks and they'll probably leave you alone. Well, it depends, you know, if today it's who's paying them, you know, you want to be on TMZ every other day, you give them whatever it is, a snipe at 5,000 a month, 10,000 a month, 50,000, whatever it is. And you're there all the time. There are people that are on TMZ every other day. And you wonder why, because they got the budget, they got the money, they got the juice and the power and they use it because they want clicks on their social media, which then makes them money. You know, the, the days of real news, you know, is over, you know, because somebody goes out to dinner with somebody. That's not news. I'm sorry. That's not news. No, you know, it's not. Somebody passes away or somebody has a car accident. Somebody gets a DUI. We understand that that's news. <laughs> you know, oh, my God, somebody got pregnant. Oh, gee, I wonder how that happened. Oh, that's so shocking, right? Of course. You know, oh my God. There's you mean there's actually people having sex? Oh my God. Don't they know there's COVID? Oh Jesus, come on. Yeah. It's like I don't know. It's so I, weird to me that we live in a time where there's just so much bullshit that like there's one percent of shit that matters and then there's ninety nine percent bullshit. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are people that care more about people they'll never meet in their lifetimes than the person who lives next door that they see every day. They go out to get their newspaper or they go out to get the mail. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? They don't care about that person, but they care about the person that comes from someplace else or people that they're never going to meet in their whole life. And that's the ones they'll go out there and they'll parade around and do their, you know. Their, their things and hold up the signs and all that stuff. Funny and, you mentioned neighbors. I've never actually seen the person that lives next door to me, which I think is just funny. 
listen, until I moved to where I moved to, I mean, I, 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 I saw my neighbors, I guess you would say, but the house that I live in now, I've been friends with both of my neighbors since the day I moved in my house. The guy that lived across the street from me, love him to death. He was here the first eight years, eight and a half years I lived in this house. And then his wife got a job and had to move away and he moved up to Sacramento. Then he went to St. Louis and he's in St. Louis. I still talk to him. You know, but my neighbors, they're great people. Even the guy that lives behind me, he'll he'll cut the trees. We got a, the branches and trees and bushes behind my house and we share them and whatever. And he'll get up on his ladder and start cutting and be like, hey, you want me to cut this? Absolutely, go for it. Whatever, we'll BS for a while. And, you know, he's, he used to be a city bus driver and his kids are, he brought him up right. And, you know, some people, they don't like when their neighbors play loud music. I understand that concept. I get it. The guy that lives behind me and his kids, boy, did he bring them up right. Every time they have a pool party, it's uh, the Three Degrees, it's the Commodores, it's Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Stevie Wonder, and I, and I love it. I enjoy the hell out of it. So I got good people that live around me, you know, and that's, again, maybe it's me, my personality, I'm not sure, but, you know, it's I try and enjoy so, every day of my life. It's so funny. It's like... I saw a tweet going back to what you were saying about the party thing. It's like, so I, one of the people I follow on Twitter said, uh, the kid in the apartment next to me was told to stop playing his music. I am very sad, and he is too, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sad now, and so is he. <laughs> you know, but getting back to, to the product, the WWE product, you know, I, I loved Ronda Rousey. Of course, again, it's because of the connection with Piper and all of that. And I loved all of that. I thought she did him so right. She did him great. And she great. She considering the small amount of time that she trained, she did a hell of a good job, you know, for what they put her in. And at some point when she does decide to come back, she will probably have some more things in her arsenal. I don't know if it will be for that. I think she messed up a lot for her in that locker room just with some of the comments she made about some of the people there. I, I don't know that she can go back to WWE oh, no, specifically. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure she'll go back because they are still the biggest company. And again, they sell the most merch. And at the end of the day, it is the paycheck for your family. So even if AEW says, listen, and again, I'm making this up completely, but if they said, we'll give you 2 million, blah, blah, blah. And Vince says, I'll give you one five, but you'll have your merch. And she knows she's going to make three to five million from merch a year. We know where she's going. And and again, you know, you say the mending of the fences. We don't know what was going on behind the scenes. You know, we don't know if that was uh, office initiated to just keep her name going a little bit and to keep what you would think rivalries would be. So when she walks back in the door, she can just step right back into it and they can turn around and go, hey, we saw what you said on your Instagram. We saw what you said on your you know, social media. Da, 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 da. You don't know. That's kind of where I'm, what I'm thinking that it was. So you did see the same stuff I did where she was shitting on Alexa oh, and she was shitting on course, this and shitting on but that. It's Listen, Vince is a master of the storytelling. You know, they Paul's got it down. Stephanie's got it down. Vince has it down. The master of the storytellers, and that's how you make the 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 game work. You know, there's she rumors of a sale. There's rumors of a sale. Do you think they'll go through with that, or do you think that's horse hockey? 
uh, if it's a sale, it would probably still be they're going to have to be uh, running the company to a certain extent for a number of years, I'm sure. I don't think they would all walk away. You know, this is all that Steph knows. This is all that Paul knows. This is all that Vince knows. You know, if, if, if they do sell, it wouldn't surprise me if Vince sold, but Stephanie and Hunter retained their ownership to keep running the company. It seeming like Hunter. Did you hear about Hunt, Paul, by the way? Yeah. That, yeah. That's. I was in shock when I heard about that. I'm like, oh my God. Life. But this is life. Anything can happen to anybody on any given day, any moment. So, I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled that he came through it. He's okay. They said he's going to be fine. Everything is going to heal. Okay, wonderful. You know, I, I wish nothing but good health, you know, and everything else, you know, good luck and good health. Um, you know, Paul's always been good to me. So, it's okay, you know, and I, you know, again, we, we all sort of talk. But there's one thing that a lot of people don't ever mention, and I'm one of the people that do. I don't care who Paul Levesque is. I don't care who Stephanie McMahon is. You know who they are? They're a mother and a father and a son and a daughter. And they got families. And that would be a tremendous loss to their families and their friends. Right. That's why I didn't want to bring it up they're too people. much because that's how I feel about it too no. is they're people. No, they're people. And, you know – you politically whatever the hell you know joe biden is i feel sorry for joe biden because he's still a grandfather and a father and a, and a whatever so you can like him not like him whatever it is he's still a human being and i don't want to see any human being be where they are in life as they get older but this is the life that we have hunter and steph they're young people they're going to have long lives you know god forbid you don't want to see anything bad happen to them as human beings They've got three you know, young kids, fairly young anyway. Um, they're getting yeah. a little bit older now, but they're still what? I think their oldest is what, 14, if that? Yeah, teens. You know, no, we, 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 again, you can love them, hate them, whatever. That's your own prerogative. That's fine. But as human beings, you don't want anything to happen to a 55-year-old man with kids or a 52-year-old man, however old he is. Um, you don't want to see that. You don't want to see it happen to a mother. Right. You know, so as, I, I as, hope as he a, doesn't get back in the ring at this point. After that, I don't imagine he will, but I hope he doesn't. Again, you don't know. I don't know the extent of what it was that it could harm his body if he did. He's a workout fanatic, you know, that he's a junkie. He's not going to stop working out. I, I He's not going to stop working out. That's just him. You know, him and Vince will be in the gym at six o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, whatever it is. That's what they do. When you do something for 25 or 30 years or whatever it is, that's what you do. Right. You know, you get out of the hospital bed. They say, listen, you can't do this for four to six weeks. Okay. And he will bite the bullet and be just waiting. He will wait that time out and go crazy. And he'll say to them, well, okay, so this happened to my chest. Can I get on the bike? Can I just get on the bike and just bike for – no, it's cardio. We want you to slow down a little bit. Yeah, but I want it. Now you can't do it. You got to hold back, you know. So he'll have to hold himself back. It's definitely holding back he'll, the four to six weeks or whatever it is for the healing process. And then the doctors will say, okay, you could start doing this again and start doing that again. And he'll do it. And they'll tell him to take it slow, but we all know of with course. the workout junkie, he won't. Yeah, but whether or not he gets in the ring again, that's going to be up to him and the situation and 
it, at this point, it's got to have some meaning. It's got to be a reason. I think the lone reason he would have had to get back in the ring kind of actually just left the company pretty much and Adam Cole, because that's the only guy I really wanted to see him work with. Like, left that could have told a legitimate story and had legitimate consequence and had legitimate meaning. Uh, yeah, had legitimate meaning. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't want to see him against Roman Reigns. That's kind of dumb. Right. You know, Roman's in his prime, and he's that big, and things can happen, you know. Any of the older guys know, you know, uh, maybe like an AJ Styles, you know, that, that Undertaker AJ Styles WrestleMania video match was phenomenal. I thought it was so well done. Extremely well done. Fantastic. You know, but it takes a special talent to be able to do that. It's a wonder how they missed AJ for that many years and never went and got him. And I think we're seeing that now even with some of the stuff he's doing. I mean, he's kind of just, they're kind of just having him run around with a big guy at this point. But, like, you go watch his matches with Cena. You go ma watch his Boneyard match with Taker. You go watch literally anything he's done since he's come into the company, and the guy's doing everything he can to make it the best thing on the show. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's guys that, that some guys try really hard, but they just, whatever it is, they don't have the it factor, and they're not going to sell merch, so they're not putting a belt on them. Well, obviously, AJ sold merch. He had the belt for over a year. Yeah, no, he was fine. You know, I'm just saying there's other guys, not not him. You know, uh, you know, Bobby Lashley. I mean, the guy's a monster. You know, and apparently they like what he's doing. And they, they like that he's filling seats and selling merch. Okay, great. You know, took him a hell of a long time to get there, but okay. It's so you know, funny I found, that I found I found cards from two thousand six that'd be about the time we got there yeah the uh, i was looking at him yesterday inception pops inception trading cards and they had a bobby lashley and i'm going oh my god he's just lashley i'm going oh my god look at how long it took this guy to hit the top of the mountain but it was one of those things where hey he left he went to tna they're essentially doing now what he did in tna with the mvp stuff it's the same thing hey if the record works and 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 it works why change it with the why? and i mean even down to the cane mvp did that in tna too and it worked in tna and it's working now so but if it works once it'll work twice you know if it but works in front of a, a small audience it's probably going to work in front of a bigger one yeah you know i mean we're a far cry from the days of rock and wrestling you know we're a far cry from those days and now it's you know it, it is what it is. And, you know, again, I got nothing bad to say about any of the guys, you know, or any, any of the, the, the talent at all. They're, they're working as hard as they can work. Sometimes it's just characters, you know. You got to have something that resonates inside people that they want to love or they want to hate. Which is why this Alexa Bliss thing they're doing, I don't know if you know anything about this, but it isn't working. It's oh the uh, the Frankenstein gig or whatever you know whatever they call it the monster or whatever. Well, Bray Wyatt the Fiend was the most. Oh no, I saw that. Yeah, he was the most creative guy they ever had walk in the door, and they let him go. Uh, and he got he got himself over three different times. Uh, uh huh. And they let him go, and he was their top merch seller three different times, and they let him go. There, there's something. That was rubbing the wrong way. That's 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 what it's got to be, which is interesting. 
knowing his old man, who is a hell of a nice guy, and and meeting Bray and talking with him, just a whale of a good guy. But you know, when it comes to work, you just don't know if if what they had planned for him just didn't. He didn't want to do it. You just don't know. I mean, the Fiend character was great, great character. It's what you do with it. I think they botched it in 19 when they had that Hell in a Cell match end in a disqualification, which is just a it's a cop out finish. But nonetheless, what they could have and the quote unquote rumor and I don't deal in rumor too much or I try not to is that he was mentally not the same and took a lot of time off, and that's why they burned him alive when they did in December when Brody Lee passed away. Because he was gone from pretty much a week or two before Brody passed because he was sick until Mania. He was gone pretty much that whole time. And then they beat him in six minutes at Mania. They did a a pre-recorded promo package Mm -hmm. with, with him the night after, and then he was gone. So I'm wondering if it wasn't just a mental thing of, oh, my God, my best friend is gone. And he just needed time to handle it. That could be. You know, again, I I, you can speculate whatever the cases are. You know, it's uh, not an easy thing when it's somebody who's at your your right side for year after year after year. And you're doing what you're doing to travel, the go, the dinners, the whatever. And then they're gone. And uh you know, some people take it easily and some people don't take it easily. You know, they take it hard. And, you know, it's, uh, again, that great character, you know. And and he could do anything he wanted. He doesn't have to go back to wrestling. He could do anything he wants. He could go to Hollywood and make a billion dollars. Like. <laughs> I, he's terrific. I'm, I'm a Bray Wyatt fan, no question. And if he called you to do a movie tomorrow and pitched you something and you liked what it. What time is I'm easy. You ready? At what time is the flight? That's it. That would be the conversation. I've had those conversations with other people that have asked me and whatever, and they're friends and I care for them. And I'm like, uh, uh, why? I'm like, why are you pitching me this? What do you want me to do? Well, we're going to do this and we want you to play that. And we're going to send you over to script. See if you like it. It's with you. Do you want me? You got me. What time is the flight? Okay. And it, and it's like you just said, if Bray called you tomorrow, you'd be like, yeah, I'm there. What, where do I go? Of course. Because you know somebody would take him movie studio-wise. You you just know it because he's so creative. He's so driven. And he's such a smart guy. Well, he's a very intelligent guy, but he's also a very movable big man. Right. You know, so there are things that he can do that some others can't at that size. You know, I, I, again, this is from a, he's a good acquaintance. I wouldn't call him a good friend because I haven't broken bread with him. We've just bullshitted a whole bunch of times. Um, I would say lose some weight just for health purposes, you know, just for your own body and heart and your, and, and your health wise. He was starting to right before he left the company. Yeah. No, we don't know where he is now. And hopefully, you know, hopefully he will, you know, that would be all. And that's not from a, I'm being an asshole to him. That's from I, I want to see him here in 25 and 30 years if I'm still around, you know? Right. And I've always heard good things about his dad, but oh. his dad's not there anymore either. And mm-hmm. so, you know, his dad is actually apparently, quote unquote, backstage at AEW the last couple of weeks. So 
Yeah, well. Hey, sometimes a, a, a change of scenery. Sometimes it's people that rub you the wrong way in the office. I mean, they've had many, many guys that have come and gone over the past two years. Well, they let you know, half WWE. the people go. Yeah. You know, and some were on the creative side. Some were on the production side, you know, behind the cameras, not necessarily creative, but just behind the cameras, you know, your editors, your camera guys. How your, is Kevin your... Dunn still there? Uh, through because all this. he's so far up the chain that, you know, he would basically have to have a brawl with Vince to be gone. Because whatever he does, it's done well for the company whether it's the Divas shows, whether it's the Nikki, you know, the, the Bella Twins show. He's done the things that have made Vince money and made the company money and been good for the company. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, how much creative he's done, I don't know. But, I, I mean, Vince is the, the top dog. If Vince doesn't like something, it's, it's the end of that. Right. You know. And I don't know if you heard the rumor that he, like, tore up the script and got mad and started screaming at people a couple weeks ago. Oh, anything is possible. And it was, quote-unquote, the maddest people had ever seen him. And But oh, I'm, I think it's I'm, a too many cooks in the kitchen because they got how many writers there? Well, you know, when they got away from the guys that wrote wrestling, when they got away from those guys and went to Hollywood guys... Well, it's not the same thing. You know, we understand it's a storyline and it's like the soap opera kind of thing, you know, but they got to have love for the industry going in and knowledge of it. That's been the problem is they're hiring comedy writers that don't know anything about wrestling that have never watched wrestling. That's the problem with it. Yeah, I mean, uh, Damien Sandow, you know. Aaron Stevens, great guy. Yeah, pulled me aside at one of the events we were talking about the scripts and he's showing me the script that he had and all this, he goes, I want to, I just want to take it and toss it and just, just do my thing. Cause I know, I know what my character is at this moment. I know what I'm doing and they're kind of like playing it this way and that way. And it just doesn't feel right. I said, well, you got to go to the powers that be and you got to go, Hey, this is what my character is. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is where I'm supposed to be going. Why do you got me going over here when I'm supposed to be going over there, you know? And I don't know if you know this, but he's pretty high up at a different company right now. And they're doing really well. He's at the NWA, and the NWA is making a resurgence, and he is at the top of it. Oh, good for him. I'll have to drop him a text and say, hey. Uh, he's working with – do you know Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins? I know who he is, sure. Uh, he owns the company. And him and Aaron are very close. And I'm close with someone who's good friends with Aaron Stevens, um, Kenny Bolin. I'm sure you've heard the name. Mm. And um, he was just on Kenny's show not too long ago, right after Bobby Eaton passed away. Um, another unfortunate. Those, those guys. It's the Bobby Heenans, the Pat Pattersons, the Rene Goulet's. The... Bobby Eaton that those yeah. guys it's yeah, bobby eaton uh but it, it well both of them bobby heaton and bobby eaton both they're, great guys they're old school guys those are the brains they understand how to work matches and work the tale and the story 
you know, and when you get rid of those guys and you bring in guys that write whatever, it's you're you're in a you're in a world of hurt. You're knee deep in it, and you got to get yourself out of there. You know, at least you know Cody's got AEW, but he understands the mechanism. He understands the machine. He's a lifer since he's a kid with his old man, so he's born and bred into this stuff. You know, it's if the guys that come into the company buy into what they're doing, buy into this. It's it's like running a sports team. You got to buy into the manager's program, you know, the, the, the coach's program to make the, the team win. And so far, everybody that's come to AEW has bought in at 100%. Yeah, well. Punk has bought in now, and I think that's an interesting story. That's very interesting. I'm waiting for AJ unless she's got – I don't even know if she's had kids or not. But. She has not had kids, but from I heard from somebody that knows her personally that her neck is fucked up and she's not coming back. Oh, well, then that's the end of that. Too bad. Good hell of a talent. She, she was – and we talk about characters. She was one of the best characters they've had in a long time in terms of the crazy, psychopath, kind of stalkery. Oh, yeah. Just totally way out there in terms of – you know, mentally as a character, but yeah, but knowing knowing that she's not a hundred percent, I never want to see her in the ring again. I don't want. I would not want to see her get hurt. That's just that's me. Now, could she? Now she's a hell of a talker. So if they wanted to put her on the mic or something, oh, oh my god, are you kidding? If she showed up and she's going to start doing, you know, matches because the husband is there, you know, because uh, you know. Uh, the hubby is there. It'd be great. It would be great for ratings. Well, people would love it. Look at the, there. There's an easy match right there. Her and Punk against Co- Adam Cole and Britt Baker. You you got a match right there. But hey. again, if her health is not a hundred percent, I wouldn't want her to do it. No, but it, it's a thing of you know. Look at Edge. He was gone for how long and had that oh. horrible neck injury and. Yeah, yeah. I guess you can never say never. It just depends on the doctors and how you heal and what happens, and that's that's what goes down, you know. And he's had some phenomenal matches since coming back, you know, which is great. Good for him, you know. I thought that he's... match he had with Seth at SummerSlam was fantastic. Great match. Great I, match. No question. I thought that that was probably the best match he's had since coming back, which is saying something because I thought the triple threat at Mania was really good too. Both were. I think they left him in there too long at the Rumble. I would have still had him win, but I think having him go in number one and go the whole time is risky. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, sometimes they they do it right. Sometimes they don't quite do it right, and that's just how it goes. But you want to see him do it the right way and be healthy, which is the most important thing. What are you thinking of Christian being back now in a different company again and doing his thing? After all those concussions he had, he's seemingly having the best matches of his career again. Yeah, well, he's pushing it. You know, the the concussions, you know, it's like being a football player. How many are you going to get before you say it's time to to bow down and go home, you know? Well, I don't know if you saw the match he had with Omega at the last AEW pay-per-view, but it was something else. But that's a match. That's not... Uh, his life, his neck, is everything. You know, that's what I'm talking about. But, you know, he can have, 
Lee can have the greatest performance of his life. And the next day, he bends down to tie his shoelace and something in his head is not right. And he falls down and all of a sudden it's a hemorrhage. It's this, God forbid, you know. Well, I just we hope that they've got good doctors there in AEW. A lot of the doctors there were in WWE. So I just hope that he's doing it right. Have you ever been in the ring? No. I have. Okay. I've been in the ring. I've had guys slam me. I had Lanny Poffo give me a superplex off the top rope backwards. That sounds like you know, it hurt. I've, I've, I've done the, the, the macho man elbow leap off the top rope onto a guy. I can tell you something. You bang your head the wrong way. And it's, it's like marbles, you know, thank God I haven't ever gotten hurt, but <clears throat> when you land after one of those things, you understand how these guys night after night, like, then they can get hurt. I've seen everything from separated shoulders, broken fingers, you know, dislocated elbows, the ankle, blah, blah, blah. I was in Dallas with a guy years ago. His name was the angel of death. Had a run in uh, at the Dallas Sportatorium with him, and he had an asthma attack in the ring. How's that for you? That's something that you can't even control. Like you that's not even control. a wrestling thing. It just thing. happens. Exactly, but it happens. It's life, right? You know. And uh, thank God I was paying attention and saw what he did, what was going on, and he went under the ring, and I knew that that was not a part of of the match. And I, I went to the other side and stuck my head underneath and I could see him. He was pointing at his face, pointing at his, his thing, pointing at his mouth. <clears throat> I knew he needed his asthma spray and I didn't have it with me. I ran up the, the ramp and went in the locker room, went in his bag, which is totally against the rules. You never do that. And grabbed his asthma spray and ran down, gave it, gave it. Thank God I got there fast enough. And he gave a couple of spritzes and he threw it back to me. And he got in the ring and finished the match with Kerry Von Erich. What are the odds of that? <laughs> and uh, after the match, we go in the back and the guys were tearing me a new behind like you've never seen. What the F are you doing? You don't go in his bag and blah, 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 blah. And he, and he looked at them and said, hey, assholes, none of you paying any attention. I had an asthma attack. He saved my life, dude. I grabbed his, he grabbed my spray. You assholes, I, I'd have died in there if I had to depend on you. It's so it's so weird. I wouldn't think that having asthma would allow you to wrestle. I guess if you have it under control enough, you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But no question. Oh yeah, no, no. It uh, you know. So I mean, I saw a lot of stuff in the ring. So you know, guys getting hurt all the time, playing with it, playing, just performing. With those injuries, night after night after night, you know, and you know, you're a young guy, so <clears throat> I'm sure, and hopefully, many things have never happened to you. But I mean, you know, you've got guys with strained ligaments, and it don't matter. They're taking pain pills. They're getting the cortisone shot, and the next day, they're they're wrestling. And the night after that, they get a shot, and they're out there doing it again, and their body doesn't have time to heal. You know, I mean, I'm a little bit older and I wasn't really doing anything, but I banged my side in my house. I just banged my side on something. 
well, for the next two weeks, my side was killing me. You would have thought that somebody, you would have thought Braun Strowman just kicked me in the side. That's how I felt. But it took a couple of weeks, but I'm not really doing anything physical, you know, and I'm taking a an aspirin and a whatever, and okay, fine. But then you think if a guy in the ring gets kicked in the side or he gets a, uh, uh, um, what do you call it? What the hell does Roman Reigns do? And, and Bill Goldberg, the spear. Imagine getting a spear and having a strained ligament, and the next night another guy does the same thing to you. Oh, God, the pain. They did it every night, night after night. That's why you had guys between the cortisone shots, the pain pills, the Vicodin, all that stuff. That's why I completely get it if a guy goes from wrestling to movies. I get it. Oh, of course. You got a stunt, man. You don't have to do that stuff. You don't have to. Some do. John does. But, Cena does. But. but but they do it differently. You're getting slammed on the ground. You're not really getting slammed on dirt. There's a pad there that's 15 inches thick. You know, it's different. Uh, my, my, my old friend, God rest his soul, you know, he passed away, angel of death. David Sheldon was his name. He was out of uh, uh, Dallas. I'm not kidding you. I mean, he lived in Euless, and he was down in Mexico once a month picking up pain pills because they wouldn't prescribe him enough pills. He was doing 40, 50, 60 Vicodin a day. I'm like, dude, how can you live like this? He's like, I have to. I got to get out there. I got to perform. I got to make money. I got to pay my bills. Oh, Jesus. You know, and for a while, he took a job as a bouncer in a strip joint just so he wasn't getting bounced around so his body could heal. Right. And that that's why I'm kind of a proponent of AEW, too, because they've given their guys health insurance and they've done all these things and they're not working as much either. They don't have house shows. Very few. They did one house yeah. show in Jacksonville, I guess, late pandemic. Well, we're still technically in the pandemic, but late in the time they were in Jacksonville, they did a house show. God, that had to be February, January, February. They did one house show. But this is during the pandemic. Again, you kind of got to just think, you know, are they do they plan on doing house shows? Yes. But how many house shows do you think they're going to do? One or two a week, maybe? Maybe? Well, here's the they're thing. They're not going to work, guys, four and five nights a week. Their top female wrestler is a freaking shoot dentist. Like, she's a dentist during the day, and she flies into the town's day of, takes Wednesdays or Fridays sometimes off, and goes does the matches and goes home and goes back mm-hmm. to work. Yeah. Like... She doesn't have to have that other job. You know AEW's paying her enough. She just signed a new contract. You know they're paying her enough, but she wants something to do that isn't wrestling. Which is like the smartest thing ever. You know why? Because if something happens to her where she can't wrestle anymore, guess what she still has? She still has a job. You know, you got to understand that most of the wrestling guys, that's what they've done their whole life since they're teenagers, 17, 18. They've been in the gym and they've done this and some of them are football players in college and then they go into it, whatever. But they really don't have job skills to do other things other than in the wrestling industry. You know, you got very, very few guys that do other things. Now, granted, we are in a a generation that you can have a podcast and there are guys making a lot of money from their podcast. A few, not many. 
you know, uh, that's something that they could do. They could go into announcing, okay, but you've got to have that personality. And there's only so many jobs. There's very few jobs in announcing. You know, they got what three announcers on a show, and then I mean, look at Mike Tanay. The guy can't. The guy couldn't get a job after TNA let him go. Yeah, and he was one of the no, best no, announcers. Know, period. Hey, listen, he could get a UPS job driving a bus, driving a truck. But he's got to want to do that. They got to have their ego has to say, okay, this is where I am in my life. This is what I have to do. And that's what I got to do. Okay, fine. That's what I'm going to do. You know, there's a football player. I don't know if you, you, if you followed football in the 80s, but you're, you're gone. So you're not even here yet. There was a guy, Marcus Dupree. He, he was called the greatest that never was. That's what they called him. College, he was a monster. But he went to one school, he went to Oklahoma, then he went to Mississippi State or, or Mississippi Valley, whatever it was. And by the time he comes into the what's going to be professional football, it was the uh, USFL back in the 80s. And he was great. And then he hurt himself. You know, he got hurt. His knee went out. And then it was come back to the NFL. And then that didn't last for more than, you know, six weeks. And then it's six or seven or 10 years later, he decides to make a comeback and he made a team and got hurt three weeks later and he was gone. You know what he does now? What? He's a UPS driver or he's a truck driver, either UPS driver or a truck driver. That's what he does. Put aside the ego. Got to make a living. Got to take care of my family. Okay. You know, now again, wrestlers, if you are a, have a little bit of success, Hopefully you made enough and you saved a little bit so you're not struggling along. That's what Mike so Tanay can... did is he just saved all his money. Who? Mike Tanay, the announcer. Oh, yeah. Well, Piper was the same way. Piper was the same way. Oh, God. God forbid. That guy, never going to happen. He didn't spend money, you know. After a match, you know, or, you know, going back to the hotel, uh, you want to get something to eat? No, no, it's okay. I got a bag of peanuts in the room. Huh? He, he, he didn't want to go Wendy's, Burger King, McDonald's. No, I got a bag of peanuts in the room. You know, saved his money. Amazing guy, you know, because he understood that this is not going to be forever. Now, had he known that he was going to go into movies and become an icon and could go sign autographs and make ten or $20,000 a weekend 10 times a year, maybe he would have gone out for a steak here and there, you know. All right. But those guys didn't know that, you know, and these guys today, they're in a different ballpark. You know, if they if they piss away their money, they're morons. Right. Anybody who's a top 50 guy in either company, when I say guy, a performer, be it man or woman. Or even in Japan, if you're top 50 yeah, over there. Yeah, no, if you're top 30, let's say, in, in each of any one of the companies and you work three years, five years, eight years, whatever it is, and you don't save your money and you don't understand that. You know, you're not going to do this till you're 50. You know, okay. If you piss it away, that's on you. Exactly. It's, and that's what Al Snow did too, is he saved his money and he went and became a promoter down in the Ohio Valley. Yeah. And he certainly wasn't a main eventer. No, he was far from it, but he invested his money, saved his money and he got the hell out of there. 
Now he was yeah. wrestling for a long time. He had a long career. But he walked away when he wanted to. Of course. You know, a lot of guys that should do that. You know, take what you got, keep what you got. If you want to spend some, you spend some knowing the gravy train is not forever. You know, for every Undertaker is a Frankie Rodriguez or whatever, you know? Or, you know, a little bit of a different circumstance, but Origino Hernandez. Yeah. And that's a story that Dark Side of the Ring kind of brought to light, which I think is a fascinating story. The whole Gino Hernandez thing. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, look what happened to him. Yeah. You know. You know, it's... Got wrapped up in the wrong crowd. I like to hear good stories. I like to, to, to hear people who have done what they've done. They walked away or they left or an injury or whatever it is, but they're okay. Their family's okay. They don't have to worry about things. They're not struggling, you know? And, and it's tough to talk about the guys from the Bob Orton generation that, you know, that made piss money compared to how much money his son has made. Well, I'm you sure know, his before... son has been generous with helping his dad if he's needed. Oh, it. He, he, I'm sure he's taken care of pop forever. And it would, doesn't make any difference because when you're making you know, seven to eight figures a year, you know, you throw the old man 300,000 a year, whatever it is, you know, he doesn't have a mortgage. He doesn't have uh, property tax. He doesn't, he gets a, a snip in every month, whatever it is, plenty to take care of him. And okay, fine. You know, but that's, if you're making that kind of money, you know, if Randy Orton quits wrestling tomorrow and says, I'm broke, something is really screwed up. Well, Randy Orton has his own clothing line now. I don't know. If oh, he... he's got everything. But that's my point, though. You know, he's been very smart about it. His it's wife is dumb. also very smart. I don't know if you know yeah. that either. His yeah, wife no. is very smart, and she started yeah. the clothing business, and he's kind of gotten involved in it indirectly. And because yeah, I mean, you know, it's... they could actually fire him if he was directly involved. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's different situations. There's divorces, you know, whether if you're a female performer or a male performer, if you're the, the breadwinner of the family, it's going to affect you. Half your house just went out the window. Half your cash just went out the window. You know, you got to have the wherewithal to understand you got to have enough for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, yes, we understand there's money to be made out there, you know, those few guys that make the 20, 30, 50, hundred thousand dollar weekends, they can do that for four times a year, or they can do it six times a year, go overseas, go to Asia, go to Europe, go to Australia, whatever it is, you know, well, look at Roman. I think he's going to be a trim. I think he's the next rock in terms of acting success. I think he's going to be really good. Yeah. But, and rock was so smart too, because he got out before he needed to. Right? He got out when he could still come back if he wanted to? Well, Hollywood was already calling, and Vince understood where he was at that point. Right. You know, and, you know, you watch Scorpion King's executive producer, Vincent K. McMahon. So Vince was still making money from Dwayne, even though Dwayne wasn't in the ring. You know, he, he, he knew where Dwayne's future was. And, you know, and people made a big deal. The rock. And people made a big deal. I don't know if you saw this, but 
Ken Shamrock got inducted into the Impact Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And people made a big deal that Rock uh, did a a video for it. He did like mm-hmm. a little video bit for it. People made a big deal out of it. Like, oh, God, Vince is going to have a freaking hernia, this, that, and the third. It's like, dude, it's the freaking Rock. Do you really think Vince is going to be able to do anything? The Rock could but walk. But it's not, it's not that. That's not what it, it's public persona against what it would mean to the company. So the public persona is, oh, my God. He's doing this for impact. No, he's not. He's doing it for Shamrock. He's doing it for his friend. Exactly. Now you go the other way. Does it have one impact, one iota on Vince? Nope. Nothing. It means nothing. He knows Dwayne's not going over to start wrestle for impact. You know, and he understands if he's going to get back in the ring, it's going to be at a mania. It's a $10 million payday. And this is what this is. Right. But it's like, and that's what I was kind of saying too. It's like, dude, do you really think Vince cares? It's not like the rock went out there and started bashing Vince or something. Exactly. He did it for his friend and that's okay. And you know what? If he was, if he was currently on the roster and you saw him every two weeks on raw or SmackDown or whatever, that's different. You know? Right. That's different, but that's not what he, that's not what he does. When is the last time he's there? How many years ago already? 2019. Exactly. So I I don't know. And if, if rock really woke up with, you know, whatever, just woke up one day and decided he wanted to wrestle for somebody, not Vince, if that's real, which isn't going to happen by the way, but let's just throw that hypothetical into space. If he woke up one day and decided he wanted to go wrestle for somebody not Vince, he could walk into Tony Khan's office and Tony Khan had cut him a $10 million check and that'd be that. Exactly. But Vince and Dwayne have a good report. The families have a good report. The grandparents have a... I mean, you know, you're talking his great-grandparents worked for Vince's father. Right. So it's, you know... He has the love and the care for Vince as a human being and a man, and they care for each other because they have different conversations than anybody probably imagines. You know, they don't sit there and go, hey, do you think SummerSlam was good? No, they don't talk about that crap. Might run an idea past him every once in a while, but. But Vince will, you know, if the conversation, if they're in front of each other, he's going to say, hey. I talked to your dad last week. He said, you're doing this and uh, whatever. And, uh, you know, uh, we're going to be in Florida in two months. You want to have dinner and put it on a schedule and uh, whatever. That's what they talk about. But it's so funny to me that there is one Samoan that is outside of WWE that is wrestling. Jacob Patu. He's the only one that hasn't gone to WWE. Well, for whatever the purpose is, you know, who knows? Well, it's the Usos' brother, so you would really think that they would be trying to get him. But he's this big, tall, he's like bigger than Roman in terms of stature. He's shorter, but he's bigger sized. Listen, you don't know. Again, I mean, I know Sean Studd. I know John's son. And the kid is a monster. And from what I've seen and heard, he's a damn good worker. And yet the company has never had an interest to go after him. And sell him as Big John Stud the Second or Sean Stud, the son of Big John Stud. 
I mean, that would be great for promo alone. You'd make so much money on that. Yeah, but just never did it. They never went after him, you know, and, you know, Sean's a good kid, man, you know, and it's just like, come on. But that's just not, he's, you know, not 26 and they want the young people to come in and work the gimmick for a decade. That's what they're looking for now. They also want people that aren't, that have never worked a day of independent wrestling in their life, which is unrealistic, but. Well, stupid. You want guys with experience or, or performers with experience. I keep saying guys when I shouldn't because there's women involved, but. They want people that have never done the indies. They want people that are raw and haven't been trained yet so they can train them. It's like, why? What's the point in that? I don't, I don't think that's a Vince call. That doesn't sound like something Vince would say, at least not to me. I don't know about you. When, but when Vince, I, I don't think it's a Vince call either because if you think about it, Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan come out of Memphis Championship Wrestling, you know, before. I mean, I actually have seen and held in my hands photos from Memphis Wrestling in 1978 and 79 with Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, and Brutus Beefcake. I've held them in my hands and go, oh, my God. But Vince understood they got to be ready to go. They've got to be able to perform when they walk in the door. Now with the, the training and the performance center, I kind of get it. Okay. But people with experience that you don't have to pay for is always better. Which is, that's been one of the most puzzling things that I don't get is why are you trying to shy away from the fact that they were other places? You can make money on the fact that they wrestled other places. Yeah. Cause you know what you can do? Let's just say AJ Styles is going to have a match with, and I know he's already there and retired, Abyss. You could say these two had an iconic feud for a different promotion. You don't even have to say the name of it. You can BS it all you want. And you'd make so much money on that, your eyes would bleed. Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of guys that have had runs with different companies in different places, and if they make it, they make it. If they don't, they don't. It's... At the end of the day, it's what they think they can put over and sell to the general public or merch. You know, fill, put fannies in the seats or merch. Drew McIntyre put fannies in the seats and sold merch. And Yeah. Did you see the reaction he got when he won the Rumble? Like, Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, listen, a lot, of, a lot of people that, you know, we think should be bigger than they are, but for whatever reason... You know, and again, you don't know if it's a behind-the-scenes thing, if it's an office thing. You just don't know. Well, that's kind of always been my theory is they turned somebody the wrong way or they did something wrong. I don't know. It And, and what bothers me is somebody who I've never heard anything – and maybe you have a different opinion, but I've never heard anybody say anything good about John Laurinaitis, who apparently has a whole bunch of power now. Okay. And it's so funny to me because everyone shits on this guy. But, like, we don't know how much power he has. He supposedly is third to the top behind Vince and Bruce. Again, it's the trust that Vince has in him. The trust in the, the trust that Vince has and the knowledge that he has. That's where, uh, that's where it all lies. It's a trust thing, I think. And I think you're right. I think it's a trust thing. And Vince is getting older. That's the fact of life. Vince is getting older. Maybe he just wants people he knows he can trust around him. 
but you know, or maybe Vince is getting ready to hang it up. Who knows? You know, I doubt it. <laughs> I, I, uh, is it possible? Sure. You know, he's no young guy, you know, and how much of this stuff does he need? You know, and again, reality is he, uh, He's got everything in the world he could have ever wanted and more. Right. Now it's just a question of what does he think he's going to do every day without that? Started as a teenager. He's been in the business for what? 60, close to 60 years. Probably. His whole basic adult life from puberty up. Now all of a sudden you wake up in the morning and there's nothing to do. There's no meetings. There's no going to the office. You know, there's no going to the next town. Exactly. You know, doesn't need to have the private jet anymore. There's no reason to have that. Although, I mean, he'd probably keep it anyway just to go on vacations because he wouldn't care. You know, it's probably paid off by now. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it's all paid. You know, it's just fuel and and a pilot, whatever. And somebody to cook him some food on the plane, whatever. But you know? if Vince sold his portion of the company, guess what? You'd have enough money to do that 50 million times over. Oh, yeah. You can do whatever you want. You know, and again, uh, it, it, again, if he sells, it just depends on what the deal is going to be, whether or not Stephanie and Hunter throw in their stake and sell out or do they keep their stake and keep the power, you know, where Vince sells them enough that they have 51% of the company and whoever else buys in is basically a minority owner and has really no say in what goes on, but reaps the benefits. Right. That's another question. Well, Mr. Schwartz, I have kept you for almost three hours now. Hold on. I'm going to look this up because now you got me interested. Okay. Let's see real quick here. What happened? There we go. Let's see. So. WWE is almost $52 a share. Right. Okay. It's evaluation is $4 billion. And that might even be a little low. Okay. So it's going to cost somebody about $2 billion somewhere around that number to buy Vince out, okay? If not, probably more. Right. Now, their profit last year was $132 million, and that's during COVID, you know, because of no house shows. No house they had, shows, All they no... had was Monday Night Raw in the, uh, Thunderdome. in the Dome with no fans, no selling merch, 280 days a year. Right. They still made 132 million profits. So your four your your two billion is uh about fourteen years to get back your money at this fork at this thing. Exactly. You know. Is it worth somebody doing that? But again, that's at this forecast, whereas it, it may change, it should change once they get back to doing house shows and selling merch every night. Your profitability will go up. Well, uh, 
there's something I want to tell you after we're done recording here because I know something that I can't say on the air. But uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to end this here. This has been three hours long. Mr. Schwartz, I would love to have you back on. You have sure. been You've been fantastic. We had a good conversation, I hope. At least in my opinion, we did. Yeah, this was a blast, man. And uh, if you ever want to come back on the show, you are always invited. Just you have my number. Just call me. I anytime. But thank you guys for listening. And Mr. Schwartz, stick around. There's something I want to tell you. <laughs> okay. <laughs>